New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan, McCartan After Midnight. I'll be talking all things New York sports with you until 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning or late Saturday night if you are still out and about in that city that never sleeps or maybe you're just working on a weekend like usual. Me and Kevin are too. And we are coming to you live from the Carton and Roberts studio here in Lower Manhattan. You guys know the number, 877-337-6666. Let's get aboard and let's load them up with your best content only, please. And thank you in advance. You guys know that the MLB trade deadline has come and gone. The essential question being, did our New York Yankees and our New York Mets get better? Did they become good enough? to make a run into the late fall? Will either of the two of those two teams be the last team standing? Those are the essential questions that we'll weave in throughout the course of the show tonight and early this Sunday morning. And helping us try to answer some of those will be a special guest, the John Morosi, all-star contributor to the MLB Network. So stay tuned for that as we evaluate both the Yankees and the Mets 2021 trade deadline moves. By the way, Rosie will join us, as most guests usually do, at 4.40 a.m. Oh, if you're a fan of the Hills, especially the new one, you definitely know this song. Natasha Benningfield, Unwritten, the new remix. The Yankees and the Mets have had their pens yanked away by the trade deadline as they did their best to write their books for the remainder of this season. However, with the hard deadline, the rest is still yet unwritten. I think by now, you guys all know what my, I'm doing air quotes here, day job is, but if you don't, I'm a teacher, an Italian teacher, and why I say that is I'm going to be assigning trade deadline grades for both our Yankees and our Mets. So let's do it. We are the Yankees Radio Network. We'll start there. Last week here on this show, we established that the Yankees had two needs, starting pitching and a lefty bat. I pointed often leading up to the deadline to what Tony Kemp did at Yankee Stadium. Tony Kemp from the A's, the lefty batter from the A's, what he did at Yankee Stadium. And let me refresh your memories in case you missed it. Don't go looking it up. There was a three-game series. He who is not considered a power hitter, hit two home runs, drove in four RBIs, had a 250 batting average, a 400 on base, you see where I'm going here, and a 1,000 slugging percentage. So, how did the Yankees do? What grade will Professor Essa McCartan assign to the Yankees? Well, <laughs> uh, the Yankees are a curious case in which really I would actually want to work off of two rubrics. The team philosophy that I and many of you think that the Yankees should employ versus the rubric of the team philosophy that the Yankees are currently employing. Spoiler alert, they are not the same. Whereas I prefer a much more athletic team built upon getting on base and hitting situationally, this Yankees front office and this Yankees computer algorithm clearly does not. Whereas I prefer my starting pitchers to pitch longer than four or five innings, this Yankees front office and this Yankees computer algorithm clearly does not. 
In fact, the New York Yankees front office is putting their cashman where their mouth is, doubling down on the same strategy that has them seven games back in the AL East and two and a half games back in the wild card after Saturday night's games. But hey, what do I know? For the Yankees, graded on what my idea of what the team should evolve to be rubric, I give them a D. Number one, they did not address a top end of the rotation pitcher. Who knows what Luis Severino will be when he comes back in when? Late August, beginning of September. For sure, he'll have to be stretched out after that. And what will Corey Kluber look like when he returns? Also in late August or the beginning of September. And he, too, will have to be stretched out. Andrew Haney from the Angels and his 5.27 ERA and 39% quality starts percentage is hardly what the Yankees needed. And number two, they traded for Joey Gallo, who fits right in with their three-outcome lineup. Home run, strikeout, or walk. In fact, when you look at the highest strikeout percentages among all batters, I chose with 100 plate appearances. I thought that was kind of fair. You'll find a guy named Taylor Trammell from the Mariners at the top of the list, strikeout rate of 42%. You don't have to scroll much farther down to find the name Gallo, Joey. His 32.3% strikeout percentage is tied for 35th highest in the league of all the players in the league with 100 at-bats. I compared that to the Yankees lineup. Of course, it's higher than that of Judge, higher than that of Stanton, and higher than that of Sanchez. On my rubric, the only reason why I did not assign an F is because Cashman got the sending teams to take on the remaining money on most, I think, if not all, the contracts. That was pretty nifty. On my second rubric for the New York Yankees, though, the one that aligns with the Yankees' philosophy, the grade is an A-. There's still a deduction because they did not address the rotation adequately enough for my liking, but if we're playing along with the Yankees' thought process, they desperately needed to add a left-handed power bat. In fact, they got two. And Brian Cashman, like I just said, got both the Rangers and the Cubs to take on the remaining 2021 salary for both of those players, Rizzo and Gallo. Yankee Stadium is the fifth best home run hitting park for lefty batters. The dimensions of the field increase lefty home runs by 17%. So let's look really in-depth at the big splashes. First, Joey Gallo. If you can look beyond the strikeout rate and the batting average hovers around 220, there's a lot to like about Joey Gallo. First, he's arbitration eligible through the end of next season, which is good for a team that does not want to exceed the luxury tax threshold. But beyond that, deeper than that, he's a defensive upgrade. He's coming off a 2020 season where he won a gold glove in right field, and he has the sixth best outfield arm in all of baseball. He has played center field before. He can fill in at first base. He can fill in at third base in a pinch. Since the start of last season, Joey Gallo has got the most defensive runs saved, 27, among all outfielders. His defense is an underrated part of his game that not enough people are talking about. Also, Gallo sees 4.2 pitches per plate appearance. 
That's good for ninth best in the American League. As you know, as we've talked about, the Yankees have the most grounded into double plays in all of baseball. Joey Gallo has only hit into nine double plays in his career, which is why I totally disagree with hitting him second in the batting order, but that's another conversation. File all of this under things that don't exactly fit into a box score, but things that do go in a box score. Gallo has the most left-handed home runs since 2017, but he's also 70th in most left-handed doubles and triples. At the, at the time of the trade, he had 25 home runs. StatCast says that 17 of them would have been out in every single park across the league. The no-doubter home runs. But if all of those games are played at Yankee Stadium, which I know isn't totally possible because there need to be road games, Gallo would have 29 home runs. From left field and center field prior to the deadline, the Yankees' on-base percentage was just under 300, and they've gotten only 20 home runs from those positions so far. Gallo alone brings 25 home runs and a 379 on-base percentage. Instant upgrade, again, if you can get past the strikeout percentage. On joining the Yankees, Gallo said, growing up, being a Yankees fan, it's something that I've always dreamed of. And the second big splash, Anthony Rizzo. Last week, I also warned Yankee fans that Joey Gallo is not, I'm doing air quotes again, the answer. It's true. He himself is not, which is why I was reluctant about Gallo coming to New York. But in a move that surprised even the player himself, the Yankees and Brian Cashman also made a deal with the Cubs for Anthony Rizzo. He, in my opinion, is the diamond, is the five-star, whatever you want to call it, addition at the deadline. What I like most about Anthony Rizzo is this. He's got a legitimate two-strike approach. I mean, he chokes up. You've already seen it on TV. As a result, you can imagine that he is not a strikeout guy. Actually, he only strikes out 15.5% of the time, which is tied for 419th in baseball. Actually, Rizzo has almost double the number of batted balls in play than Gallo. Furthermore, he will be going from a park that is below average for lefty home runs in Wrigley Field to a park that is quite literally built for him. Upon the time of the trade, Rizzo had 14 home runs. If all of his hits are at Yankee Stadium, which, again, I know is not totally possible, he would have had 23 home runs headed to the deadline. Oh, did I mention his four gold gloves? What about his platinum glove? Yup. Excellent. And Luke Voigt, who? The Yankees have established lefty-righty balance in their lineup for the first time all season. That will not only be beneficial to the lefties, as I've just outlined, but also to the righties, because pitchers will no longer be able to get into a groove by pitching to so many consecutive right-handed batters. It's a real thing. Again, while I don't agree with the philosophy that the Yankees and Brian Cashman have employed, they did lock up two of the most compelling position players on the trade market. The average slugging percentage in the league for uh, against the fastball, 445. Gallo, Stanton, and Judge combined, at the time of the trade, combined for a 647 slugging percentage against the fastball. Huh. Well above league average, shall we say. Is it an exciting time in the Bronx? Very. 
Will Monday's game at the stadium be sold out? Probably. But that jolt, two Italian dudes with connections to our area, will that be the shock that the mostly stagnant 2021 Yankees need to kick it into high gear? Man, I do hope so. The Yankees certainly have their work cut out for them. Will they win the division? Probably not. Will they be a wildcard team? Well, that's it. Get into the dance and then see what happens because virtually the entire AL East were buyers at the deadline. With the Blue Jays landing, most notably Jose Barrios and Brad Hand, the Rays trading for Nelson Cruz, and the Red Sox, most notable addition, was Kyle Schwarber. According to FanDuel on Saturday afternoon, the Red Sox will have the best odds to win the AL East, followed closely by the Rays. The Yankees are all alone in a distant third at plus 1,000. The Orioles, by the way, yes, I had to count the zeros, are currently at plus 50,000. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to put some money on that. Put a dollar on them. How about that? Based on the odds, this is the second tightest race in all of baseball. And for the Mets, let's open with a quote from Sandy Alderson. He said, you know, this is before I assigned my grades. Alderson said, quote, if we had weaknesses in the first hundred games, it was inconsistent starting pitching just because there were holes to fill every three or four days. And the second was the offense against left-handed pitching. We certainly addressed one of those with Baez, obviously the second one. With respect to the pitching holes we had, we've got Carrasco pitching, we've got Rich Hill, and while that might not be Jacob deGrom or Jose Barrios, we're comfortable with what we currently have as we move into these last 60 games. What grade will Professor S. McCartan assign to the New York Mets? Well, let's first backtrack to last week and revisit my wish list for them. Number one was Chris Bryant, and number two was a solid yet inexpensive, in terms of prospect talent, starting pitcher. My grade for the Mets, a B. I know they had acquired Rich Hill, which is good. He's a great fit. But he's not a high-end or a mid-grade starting pitcher. The Mets did not adequately address their need for starting pitching, especially that acting GM Zach Scott knew about the severity of Jacob deGrom's setback, and he said it in his own words, hours before the deadline. Add that to the fact that they picked the wrong Cub, and that's why it's a B. Baez is a fine enough player, but Bryant was the guy. He was the missing piece. And across the nine offensive metrics that I ran on my own, Bryant is a better player by a lot. So a better player and a better fit, and yet the Mets allowed him to go elsewhere. So, again, the starting pitching. You know, the severity of the DeGrom injury setback, they knew. The Mets knew. And I took notes during that SNY broadcast when Zach Scott said, we knew with a couple hours to go at the deadline what the plan was for him. At that point, we did not see any of the top rotation guys that really fit for us. Scherzer was already traded. Toronto already acquired Barrios. And we felt like the impact just wasn't there. That was Zach Scott. Well, Zach Scott, I actually disagree with you. Three of my top-ranked starting pitchers on the market were still on the board. And actually... They ended up staying put. Herman Marquez from the Rockies, John Gray from the Rockies, and John Means from the Lowly Orioles. So to that, for the right package, I call BS. Plus, another reason for the B was the fact that the Mets took Javier Baez before the Giants took Chris Bryant. Bryant was the guy. He was the missing piece. And the acquisition of Baez just really 
confuses me as to where he fits because you could say, well, okay, he's the bridge to Lindor. Okay, okay, sure. For what? The next two weeks? Then what? He slides to second base and benches McNeil, who whose 16-game hitting streak just ended Saturday night? Or will he just displace McNeil, thus benching J.D. Davis's bat at third base or Dom Smith's bat in left field? To me, that move, the Baez move, represents a GM without a concrete plan. Javier Baez is a great player, don't get me wrong. If it's a straight comparison between him and Jeff McNeil at second base, I'm picking Baez, really. And I studied eight offensive metrics between him and McNeil, and Baez is better than McNeil in most of them. Of course, the big knock on Baez is his strikeout percentage. It is the 10th highest in the league among batters with at least 100 plate appearances. 10th highest. Otherwise, and that's a really big otherwise, there's a lot to like about him and what he could bring to this team. But do you see how confusing this is when there's not a real plan in place? Bryant was the guy. You wanted a big bat. He has more home runs than Davis, Guillerme, and VR combined. He gives great flexibility at the corner infield positions and all three outfield positions, that is Chris Bryant. And I imagine he would have gotten most reps at third base, where he has a fielding percentage that is also better than any of the third basemen that played uh, for the Mets so far this season. This really was a no-brainer. And wait, my favorite line from the Alderson conference was, or, or interview, whatever it was, was that Baez addressed the offensive uh, woes against left-handed pitching. Well, guess who has a better average against left-handed pitching? Yep. Don't be fooled by the narrative. The answer is Chris Bryant, who hits in his career 13 points higher than Baez against left-handed pitching. I'm just saying. So how does Baez stack up against Chris Bryant in the rest of the metrics? Let's do it. Like I said, I ran the numbers. In addition to a higher batting average against left-handed pitcher, pitching, I should say, Chris Bryant has a higher batting average, a much better slugging percentage, a much higher on-base percentage, and a much better on-base plus slugging percentage. Baez barely steals more bases per game than him, and that's really it. But the Mets did not select Bryant, who, by the way, was traded to the Giants for just their number seven and their number 17 prospects. The Mets couldn't do that. They selected Baez instead. Wrong move. Sorry. The NL East, based on the oddsmakers' predictions, looked to be the third closest divisional race. The Mets are still favored to win it, followed closely by the Braves and the Phillies. And Mike Piazza on the SNY broadcast, when they interviewed him the other night, he said, hey, someone's going to win this thing. Why not you guys? Just keep playing hard. Take it to the end. Hang in there. You guys are just getting through a lot of tough times and stick it out. So, what's the big picture? So, how do both of our teams fare? in the terms of the big autumn picture. Will they be fighting to the end? Will they become the champions? Well, since we've last talked, Fangraph's calculator shows that the Yankees have jumped, jumped in the postseason projection. After Saturday night's game, they now have a 51.5% chance of making the postseason. It was just 36% last week. And they've got a 6.3% chance to win the World Series which is just about or even more than double what it was this exact time last week. 
And after Saturday night's game, the Mets, according to Fangraphs, have a 73% chance to make the postseason, down about 4% from last week, and a 7.3% chance to win the World Series. According to MLB.com, if the season ended after Saturday's games, the Yankees would miss the second wild card spot by two and a half games, and the Mets would still win the NLEs. So, we will get it going. I've, I've set the table for you guys. I cannot wait to talk to you. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan, After Midnight, on the fan. <laughs> After midnight here on the fan in New York City, Kevin and I just found out that we are both huge Bon Jovi fans. And he asked what is my favorite Bon Jovi song, and it is this. Have you ever been at a Bon Jovi concert when he's like, raise your hand? You know what's funny? So, 20 years ago, it was my first Bon Jovi concert. And the only reason why I know was because I was five. So, they were playing a giant stadium. And I remember... You know, my parents brought me, I had my uncle and my aunt, and just randomly on YouTube, I see July 21st, 2001, on my YouTube selection. I'm like, oh my God, 20 years ago was my first concert? Wow. I've been to 15 other ones. Yeah. I, I was telling you before uh, before you got on the air, my senior week, my last Saturday in college, Bon Jovi was a Mohegan Sun, I actually blew off my friend to go see Bon Jovi behind the stage. <laughs> No regrets. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we could trade Bon Jovi songs, I mean, stories for... Oh, we're doing that for the next four hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. But my favorite line, and I, and this is the best line uh, that was coming up. The line where it says, from New York to Chicago. Isn't that exactly what just happened here in the Bronx and in Queens? Here it is, here it is. From Chicago! From New Jersey! I know it's in reverse, but the Yankees got a Cub, a Chicago Cub. The New York Yankees got a Chicago Cub in Anthony Rizzo, and the Mets got a Chicago Cub in Javi Baez. Sort of, kind of fits. Sort of. Hey, here's a little trivia question for you guys. When was the last time a New York Yankee... Uh, or should I say, when was the last time the New York Yankees employed a first baseman that has a gold glove in his trophy case? Because Anthony Rizzo has won a gold. He's got four. He won a gold glove in 2016, 2018, 2019, and 2020. There is a lot to be excited about for Anthony Rizzo. The answer to the question is, you have to search back to the year 2012 with Mark Teixeira. It has been almost 10 years. Since the, since the Yankees have had an elite defender at first base. Ten. Just about ten years ago, I couldn't even order a beer at a bar. Joey Gallo has played in 569 Major League Baseball games. Well, 570 after tonight. He's got himself a 2020 gold glove in right field himself. But you know what I love seeing Friday night? The return of the Yes Network color-coded outfield graph. You know the one where it assigns a color based on the strength of the arm of the outfielder. Green means run on them. 
Yellow means for the runner to proceed at his own risk, and red means don't even try it. You know the one I'm talking about. Well, the Yes Network seems to have retired that graphic after showing green for Grandpa Gardner one too many times. Gardner literally, statistically, has one of the worst outfield arms in the league. Like, runners know that they can automatically take an extra base on a deep fly ball to him because he just stands almost 0% chance of throwing them out at any base. But Friday night, the graphic returned in a big way. It showed red, as in, don't try it, for all three Yankee outfielders. Stanton in left, Judge in center, who has the 49th best arm of the 209 qualifying players, and in right field, Joey Gallo, who has the sixth, sixth best arm of the 209 players. That is so huge and so underrated when it comes to keeping opponents' runs off the scoreboard. And let's go to my board here, 877-337-6666. Leaving us off tonight will be Kevin in Camden. What is up? What is up, Coach? I want to talk about the Yankees and the Mets trade deadline. Do it. Let's go. All right. So you and I, we're, we're in total sync with with the Yankees and the Mets. I, I mean, you gave them a D. I'm, I'm talking about the Yankees first. You gave them a D. I'm going to be a little uh, harsher. I'm going to give them a D minus. going to be a little harsher with the Yankees. Well, D in the terms of, like, I wish they went in a different direction. But the direction in which they're steering, they did pretty good at it. Uh, that's why I give them an A minus on that rubric. I get it, but I'm saying for everything you said. But I have to say, I mean, the Yankees lost points with me when they traded Luis Sessa. I'm sorry. I mean, Luis Sessa is one of your better relievers, and you traded him to Cincinnati for a player to be named later. There's no, no I don't think they got anything back. A pl- nothing yet. A player to be named later, and they haven't that named the player. That really doesn't mean score. I don't uh, really care about Justin Wilson, but and I'm sorry, Clay Holmes and Joely Rodriguez. I mean, that's. Luis says it's better than both of them. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think, though, and here's the thing, Kevin, and I don't know what Luis says number, numbers are, because I, I I'll be honest, I didn't look this up, but apparently the Yankees are kind of um, married to the ground ball percentage for their relievers, and that is why they went for Rodriguez, who does better against righties, and Holmes, who does better against lefties. That's I, I, I get it, yeah. I'm not crazy about Galloway. You, you and I are totally in agreement on that. I mean, he's here. We got him for basically nothing, so I'll take it. But I am not thrilled. I, I'll put it that way. You know, his feet Rizzo, are, I love. I love Rizzo. Right, that, right. But that, I that, think, movie's all, that movie's so sweet. I think Joey Gallo's fielding and everything else will, will balance out. Honestly, really, I do think so. Once you get I past do. the strikeout percentage and once you get the, past the fact that he hasn't gotten a hit as a Yankee yet, um, it'll balance out. I mean, it, it, he'll just keep – listen, you got a runner on third base. They are not going to go home on him. So that keeps a run off the board. Yep. And I agree with you. Real quick about the Mets. Um, I disagree with you a little bit about Baez and Bryant. I think Baez is a little bit better than Bryant. I know you because I feel stuff. But, Brian, look, Bryant does strike out a lot, too. It's not just that. But, but another thing that I, I, give, I give him a B, too. I'm with you in the grade because, I'm sorry, Trevor Williams – he does not something either. I mean, like ter- the, no, they, the Mets could have, the Mets could have taken da- Davies over him. Why didn't you take Davies? Mm. Davies is better. Yeah, they're both bad though, Kevin. 
it was like, yeah. you know, half dozen of one. I, I never get these sayings right at this time of the night, but you yeah, know what I'm no, trying I to say. It. They're both bad. They really yeah, are. I, I get it. But I'm just, and, I'm, and Brown would have been nice, but I'm saying, I, I'll take bias at this point. But I, I get your points, too. But I think bias is a little bit better than Brian at this point. So I'm just. Ah, Kevin, you can't say that, though. Did you listen to I, the podcast? Are you there? Yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of, I mean, that's, for me, I just think is Brian. I mean, you know, he's good. I just don't think that. Uh, I don't know. I just have a diff- little bit differing opinion there, but but for the most part, I mean, you and I are in lockstep. Yeah, that. I mean, you're allowed. And here, I'm just before I let you go, I'm just loading yep. up uh, a baseball savant here for the strikeout percentages for for Baez. 36.3. He's, he has the tenth most. Yeah, I know this. This year, he's striking a lot, though. I know that. Bryant. He strikes out 23.8%, 180th. So there's no comparison there, Kevin. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm just saying, but... Yeah, go ahead. I'm just saying, I, I just think that... And real quick, Conforto, I hate to say it, but I, re, I signed Bios over Conforto at this point. I'm sorry. Well, I then, love Conforto, then who's your I right signed Bios over him. I'm sorry. Then who's your right fielder? I mean, you got a surplus of infielders I, at that point. And don't tell me Jeff McNeil. Don't tell me Jeff McNeil. No, I'm not saying that. But <laughs> I, I'm just saying, but Conforto's, look, Conforto's streaky. If you're looking at Lindor and, and Baez and you're infield for the next few years, I mean, I'm a little bit biased because, you know, I'm Puerto Rican, so I'm a little bit biased. I got to admit it. <laughs> but, I, but I just think that Conforto, maybe, maybe it's just time for a, a, a fresh start. Maybe it's just. I don't know. Maybe for me, it's just because, I mean, the COVID thing probably has something to do with it, with Conforto being, you know, the way he is. But I just, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm very wary of giving him a long, I would love for him to say, but I'm very wary of giving him a long-term deal because he's so streaky. Yeah. So, that's, so that's the problem. That's, that's why I'm like, do I want to give it to him? Because I, I, I would love for him to stay. I'm, I'm thinking about it long term. Like, it's, 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 like, for me, it's similar with Judge. So what, I mean, not, despite the, not the injury part, but yeah. the streakiness. I, I guess just, I, I guess don't you know. know. I guess I, I don't you. know. So so here's my solution to that. What if I, I know he's got? I'm pretty sure he's got Scott Boris as an agent. What if you give him a three year deal, a lucrative three year deal? Conforto can bet on himself. Tell you he's going to turn it around. Give him. He wants to be a Met, especially if they make a, a late playoff run. I'm sure he wants to be a Met to stay there on that team. Give him a three year deal and see what happens. Doesn't have to be seven. Doesn't have to be ten. Two, maybe even a two-year deal. I don't know. I think where there's a will, there's a way. I, I haven't asked him, obviously, um, and I really don't think he wanted to do it during the season anyway. So we'll have to wait and see. Okay, let's go to Chris in Queens. You are caller number two on line two. Chris, you're up on the fan. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Um, I like the trade the Yankees made. Which one? Um, the one for Rizzo. Oh, Rizzo! I loved it. I love it too. I love it too. It just it, like I said, uh, I think he's gonna do good good for us because our line was so right-handed, heavy, heavy-handed. So you need some lefties in the in, um, in the lineup to balance it out. Yes. So I definitely like to get Rizzo, and I like Vado too. Vado? I mean, um. Okay, Gallo, like, Gallo. Uh, you get all the Italians Gallo, mixed up. Gallo. Gallo. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, yeah, yeah. I, like, I like them both. You know, both left-handed hitters, so there'll be some guys in the lineup. Yeah, and Chris, it's a good point. I mean, listen, the Yankees needed a left-handed bat, right? I prefer a guy like 
Adam Frazier, who gets on base and runs the base as well, things like that, I preferred that. The Yankees went a different route. Okay, fine. On that route, they picked up two of the best lefty bats on the market. I mean, Anthony Rizzo already has two home runs in two games for the Yankees. And the one uh, on Saturday night, did you see it? went right down the line. Was it fair? Was it foul against the pole? Of course, it was fair. Anthony Rizzo, I'm telling you, is going to be a Yankee probably for the rest of his career. I'm saying it right now. I mean, did you see, just even defensively, like, do you think Gary Sanchez dialed up that play on his own today? Have you ever seen Gary Sanchez throw behind a runner like that and nab a guy at first base? Have you ever seen it? I'm going to go, I, I have never seen it. I admit I've never seen, I haven't seen every single play of Gary Sanchez's career, but I can't think of a time where Gary Sanchez snapped through to first base to a, the first baseman uh, playing off of the, I guess the, um, that would be the, left shoulder of the base runner, sneaking up behind him and tagging him out of first base. I, I can't remember a time where Gary Sanchez did that. So that tells me that Anthony Rizzo must have signaled to him, given him a little high sign or something, saying, hey, hey, throw it down. This guy's taking a little bit too much of a lead. I'm going to sneak in, creep in behind him, and tag him out. That, I'm telling you, was Anthony Rizzo's doing. That was not Gary Sanchez's idea. Already, with his bat and with his glove and with his brain, Anthony Rizzo is paying dividends for the Yankees. He is, I'm telling you, he will be a Yankee for the rest of his career. And with the trade deadline now behind us, there is one highly coveted starting pitcher that I'm very glad that our Yankees and our Mets did not splurge for. If you were tuned in last week, you already know who that is. You already knew who I'm going to say. I'll explain who and why coming right up. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight here on The Fan in New York City. Kevin and I, I just put something up on Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A, and it says posting, I think I did that right, a fleet. I put up a fleet, and you are in it. <laughs> I'm in it. You're in it. Oh, it I it says, now. say hey to KWall521. Beautiful. Hello, people. I'm just zooming in. On, you'll see. You'll I'll be here. <laughs> I'll so be here. Kevin is on, and, and, and people don't understand the other side of the glass now. If you go to my Twitter, look at my fleet, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, you will understand that Kevin is on the other side of the glass. He is taking your phone calls until 6 a.m., until I'm off the air at 6 a.m. tonight. So get aboard, 877-337-6666. And real quickly... If you tune into my show last week, into my super trade deadline special show, you know that I had done extensive homework for you guys. I put forth my best recommendations to better each of our teams here in New York, and there was one player, one highly coveted starting pitcher that I advised against for both of our teams. And that player ended up going to the Toronto Blue Jays, Jose Barrios. Barrios was a total turn off for me because of A, the fact that his ERA was 369 at the deadline, which is not terrible, but is under career average. That's an outlier, a huge outlier in the data. And his strikeout rate is also a career high, which is also an outlier in the data. And C, probably most important, the fact that his quality start percentage at the deadline was 37%. That means that 37% of the time, Barrios went out there and delivered a start of at least six innings in which he surrendered three runs 
or less, 37% of the time. Can either of our teams sustain that? I'm going to go with no. And then did you see what the Blue Jays gave up for him? I told you guys last week that since Barrios had an extra year of arbitration left on his contract, that the ask would be too much. You decide. The Blue Jays traded to Minnesota two prospects out of their top four, two pretty much MLB-ready prospects. I mean, their number two-ranked kid and their number four-ranked kid went to Minnesota. If I'm the Yankees or if I'm the Mets, no thanks, hard pass. Let's go to your calls, 877-337-6666. Next up is Jim in Lindbrook. You're up on the fan, Jim. Hey, how are you doing? Great, how are you? So, yeah, um, did I hear you right? You gave the Mets a B for their trade deadline? Yes. Oh, my God. Really? Did you listen to the rationale? What's that? Did you listen to the rationale or you just stopped at the letter B? Oh, they signed a 40-year-old pitcher and a guy that strikes out in 40% of his at-bat. Uh, no, I didn't say anything about Hill's age at whatsoever at all. I actually said he was a perfect fit, so you weren't listening. So let me reiterate to you. Uh, no, 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 I'm just, I, I, I'm saying they signed Rich Hill, who was a you know mediocre pitcher his entire career. He's like a 500 gap stop. But at that uh, at that time, I, they only needed a guy for the back end of the rotation, and he fit that perfectly. He and then he was probably going to be moving to the bullpen. But the fact that the Mets knew. Hours before the deadline, based on his own admission, the GM, that about Jacob deGrom's injury, and they did not go out and get and try to entice a, a, a big name or a bigger starting rotation pitcher, I mean, that was a knock. Yeah, that was a deduction, yes. I, I mean, when you're, when you're pitching Jared Eichel and his 24 ERA, and then their, and then their fifth starter was TBA, and you're going to get me, you know, uh, 42-year-old uh, Hill – and then on top of that, to go sign Javi Baez when you just bought, when you just paid three hundred and forty million dollars for a shortstop that's hitting, you know, two twenty nine, and you know, supposedly we got sold this bill of goods that Steve Cohen, oh, he's the richest owner in baseball. He sure didn't spend like it. Um, you know, w- w- you know, w- which is really depressing. I-, I think the Mets just threw in the towel this week. Personally, I would give them an F. Really? So, so yeah, they had so many needs. They have a corner outfielder in Michael Conforto who's hitting 198, and he's one dimensional, if that. So, tell me which which corner outfielder that was on the market that you would have liked? Starling Marte. Starling Marte. Starling Marte. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, any, really, honestly, any outfielder has got to be better than a guy hitting 198, striking out 35 percent of the time. So let me let me get and this straight. You would, wait, hold on, hold on, Starling Marte. You know he's a, he's an unrestricted free agent after this season, right? So you would do what? Sell the farm in order to get him? No, they didn't. Nobody gave up too much to get him anyway. Well, you, what, what, you know, not much more than what the Mets gave, gave up to get Javi Baez. Well, I just I, I agree with you on Javi Baez. He was not the guy. Chris Bryant was the guy. No, Javi Baez was the salve over the wounds of Mets fans when everybody figured out that Steve Cohen chucked in the towel this week. And no, the but you know what, though? He's still a better player than really most of those Mets. I mean, he's a, I, I ran the numbers. He's better is, is, than... Is he really? Where, where are you going with a guy that strikes out in four out of every time? Well, okay. So so if you're going to put him... McNeil, I mean, uh, Lindor's your shortstop. Javier Baez versus Jeff McNeil. Javier is, Baez has... Is, is Lindor a shortstop? The guy's hitting 229. Yeah, he is your shortstop. Yes, Jim. Yes, Lindor, Jim, Jim, this is not how this works, man. This is not how this works. 
Lindor's your shortstop. And when I compared Javi Baez, listen, Javi Baez is going is to move to second base, is he not? So when I compared him versus your second baseman, Jeff McNeil, uh, in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different offensive metrics, he's got a higher slugging percentage by 100 points over Jeff McNeil. He's got uh, more, uh, triple the amount of home runs per game rate over Jeff McNeil. On base percentage is 30 points higher than, than Jeff McNeil's. He's got double the amount of RBIs per game than Jeff McNeil's. He's got, let me do the math, 3, 6, 9, 12, almost five times as many stolen base per game as Jeff McNeil does. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, Lindor is your shortstop. Baez is your second baseman once he returns. I'm not in on Javier Baez, but you cannot dispute the fact that he is better than your current second baseman, which is Jeff McNeil. That's it. Case closed. The question is, what I thought Jeff McNeil would be in that trade, and he's not. So what happens? Then you move him to third base, then you're sitting J.D. Davis's bat. You move him to left field, then you're sitting Dom Smith's bat. That's the problem I have. That's why it's a B. Baez is an upgrade over, uh, you know, McNeil, a Davis, a Guillerme, a VR, pretty much. I didn't run those, compare those numbers, but definitely better than Jack McNeil. That's why. He's a better player than Jack McNeil. That's why it's a B. It's an upgrade. It's an upgrade in all of those categories, all of those numbers that I just ran for you. And too bad for you. If you allowed me to talk... You allowed me to respond, and then you respond, and then I respond. That's how a conversation goes. For everybody listening, that's how a conversation goes. Joan in Manhattan, you're up next on The Fan. Oh, hi. Yes, I wanted to ask you something. There was, there was a ceremony tonight right before the Mets game. I, I, my radio's not that good. I wasn't hearing it all correctly. They were introducing certain people who were Hall of Famers. Is that what they were doing? Yeah, so for the first time um, the Mets, since 2013, the Mets had yeah. a, a Mets Hall of Fame induction class for the first time since 2013. Yeah. Oh, so who, what, what does that mean? What were they What were they doing exactly? So they had, and I, I was flipping between, I was watching on TV, flipping between the Yankees and Mets games, split, right, split right. screen, but they, they inducted uh, Engardo Alfonso, Ron Darling, and John Matlack into the Mets, um, you know, Hall of Fame. So when you go to the to City Field in the museum, you'll see a plaque about them. And, and, and Oh, okay, right. Yeah. But now they also mentioned, they introduced other people who were there. Now, did I hear correctly, did they, did they introduce Ed Cranepool? Or they called him Eddie, Eddie Cranepool, but you never heard him called that before. Yeah, yeah I wasn't. I saw him on TV. I didn't hear it because I had the audio of the Yankee game on, so I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Well, I was curious because, well, two things. First of all, I know he was having some health problems a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, which apparently is all better now. Yes, apparently, He's yes. fine, mm-hmm. fine and dandy, yep. which is good. But the interesting thing for me was about 30 or 40 years ago, I was reading the Daily News, mm-hmm. and I was reading a little bio on Ed Cranepool, who was at that, I guess, well, I guess he was still pitching for the Mets. This was the late 70s, probably. And I just found out that way that he graduated from my high school the same year I did, James Monroe High School in the Bronx, 1962. (laughs) That's how old I am. And I I said, oh, what do you know? I went to school with Ed Cranepool. I didn't know it. So it was a very big school. There were 900 kids in the graduating class. Obviously, nobody, you know, we didn't all know everybody.
study, and I wasn't following sports that much. But I went back to my yearbook, and I took out the yearbook, and I looked under the sports, and there was his picture. Oh, wow. There was, there was Ed Cranepool. He was on the baseball team. He was on, I think, the swimming team. He was on three, three teams. So he was obviously the prodigy. And I think he was recruited fresh out of high school, right, 1962, when the Mets were formed. Yeah, it had to have been, yeah. Right, and I think, again, if I heard it correctly, and I probably did, that he was in the World Series game in 1979, and I think they said he hit a home run in the third game or something. Did, do you know that history? I, I, I can't say I do. I, I in 69. 69? Yeah, 69, when the year they won. I and he contributed to that, if I heard correctly. Uh, I'm trying to look it up real quick. I'll, I'll take your word yeah. for it. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Oh, well, I don't know. See, I was just asking you because okay. I heard it. It was my radio's kind of muffled, and I wasn't sure. I was, you know, it coming through from the from the stadium. It's never that. You know, the, the sound's never that clear. Anyway, I'm but anyway, I think I'm pulling it up. Go ahead. Go ahead. Keep talking. Okay. Go ahead. Okay, so that was just cool, you know. It was just kind of nice to know. I must have passed him in the hallway dozens of times. Yeah, that's and never so knew it. cool. That's a cool <laughs> story. Big city high school. Yeah, Jameson Row, 1962. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so wait, I got so 1969. He had he had a home running game for game three. It says uh, fourteen. I think, yeah, yeah. Game three. It looks like game three, but I'm confused because it's uh, on the rankings. It has one. It has the number four, and then it says game three. World a World Series game three. A uh-huh. home run. Yes. Oh, cool. Yes. So see that? See yep. that? My high school produced some Look at that. You did a great thing. So if he's listening at Cranepool High, best wishes for your health and everything else. And uh, you don't know me, but we probably passed each other dozens of times in the crowded hallways of James Monroe High School. Joan, did he sign the yearbook? Did you look through the pages? Uh, well, no, no, because I didn't know him, so I wouldn't have asked him to sign it. You know, only the people that you knew, right? You asked people that you knew to sign it. Yeah, I always tried to get uh, as, many, as many as possible. What? What? I, always tried to, I always tried to get as many as possible in mine. Uh, but, yeah, but no, there were 900 kids I know, that's a class. lot, yeah. There were 900 yeah. kids in my whole entire high school. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, right, we had, I guess, about three, what, maybe 3,000 in the whole school. Yeah. It was a, you know, big New York City high school. You know how yeah. that goes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was interesting to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, cool story, John. Thanks for the call. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. What a contrast that call was. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, we can fit one more in here. Tim in Hartford, Connecticut. You're up on the fan. Coach Tim. Okay, I gotta I gotta take issue with you on the rating of the Yankees. Uh, well, not their draft, but their trade deadline. The A minus. No, no, no. The D. The D. Well, the D was my rubric. How I thought the Yankees should go, like in like the Locastro route, the the Adam Frazier route. But go ahead. Okay. Well, I think too much focus on getting a, a top starter. I would have liked to have got a top-of-the-rotation guy, but, you know, when you look at their ERA this year, they're fifth in the American League. No, I think I think they're first. Well, since, since – no, no, uh, no, they're fifth. No, since, okay, hold on. Since, uh, I think it was July 7th, they have a 2.6-something. That's, that's okay. first in the AL. I think now now the, the the problem is obviously defensively 
they've made an awful lot of errors, mm-hmm. which creates some problems for your pitching. And they've also got guys playing out of position, um, Glaber Torres. Uh, um, yes, yeah. you're right. <laughs> yes. Um, they also, I mean, I think they they get a above an A plus for finally balancing out the lineup. And I have a problem with Joey Gallo because I was always a contact hitter. I don't like strikeouts. But the thing about Gallo is he takes a lot of pitches, and that wears down pitching staff. And in today's age, when you have pitchers, if they make it to the sixth inning, it's a miracle. That that can really, in the big picture, that can really play out as a real positive because you get the opposing team starter out of the game. Right, and, and I mentioned that in the open. He sees 4.2 yeah, right. pitches for play, but it's ninth best in the American League. And so I, and, I talked about all of the stuff that doesn't go in a box score relating to Joey Gallo. Right, if you can get right. past the strikeout percentage and the strikeout rate and all that, he's actually a really good player, defensively especially. And I actually did a little research here. and I, I mean, it's not that scientific other than I looked at AAA pitchers this mm-hmm. year. Average start, 5.1 innings, 82 pitches. And we wonder why when they come to the major leagues, we can't get them to the sixth inning. Well, that was that was for this past season, right? Yeah. This, so, so but to, you, have to, to, you have to keep in mind, too, and thanks for the call there, Tim. You have to keep in mind, though, that – the data always isn't the, the full story. Now, remember that those minor leaguers for this season literally did not have a season last season. So these guys, they're not trying to kill them. I understand the point. Point well taken. Pitchers don't go far into games anymore, especially in the Bronx. I get it. But those guys, you can't kill those guys when they did not have a season last year. They weren't playing baseball. They had to make their money elsewhere. So you can't kill them for that. 85 pitches, I agree with you, is not a lot. But, again, let me clarify this. The reason why I gave the Yankees such a bad grade on my rubric, based on my philosophy, is because they are too home run happy. However, on the Yankees rubric, following their philosophy, they got two of the best left-handed bats that were out there on the market. And I know you guys out there are listening. Want to give me a call? 877-337-6666. Here's an update. Welcome back to McCartan in the morning. Man, that first hour flew by, didn't it, everybody? Kevin Wall is behind the glass taking your calls at 877-337-6666. Hey, you guys voted. I asked you what you wanted, what shirt you wanted me to wear tonight. I gave you two options because I thought they were both kind of timely. I gave you the option of the of my Derek Jeter, brand new batting practice jersey from 1996, throwback Mitchell and Ness that is, um, because the Yankees are playing Derek Jeter's team, the Marlins, right? And I gave you the option of the um, Mike Piazza batting practice black jersey because Friday night was a blackout. I told you it was going to be a blackout, by the way. I sat here with the calendar open knowing that it was going to be a Friday night game that they were going to do it. I said, "Mm, I think the 30th of July versus the Reds, I think that's the game. And sure enough, it was. And sure enough, you guys chose that. So I'm sitting here in a black Mike Piazza jersey. Tweet out the picture in a little while, as, as, as we always do here. Uh, at my sh- on my show here, uh, the Mets 
walked it off tonight with a victory, and the Yankees have won officially. I mean, they, you know, they've taken two out of the three games from the Marlins, so they've won the series already. The Yankees have won six of their last seven series, and here they come down the stretch, everybody. The Yankees and the Mets vying, jockeying for a postseason berth. The Mets pretty much, I mean, they've been in, in first place. Now it, the calendar has ticked to August 1st. The Mets have been in first place for 101 days consecutively. And the Yankees, well, they're on the outside looking in. But their new additions of the two Italians, the two Italiani Americani, Giuseppe Gallo and Antonio Rizzo, Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo. Maybe they're going to be the two that take them to the promised land. Who knows? We shall see. Let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666. To the Upper West Side we go. Jack, you are on the fan. Hey, Danielle. What's up, Jack? Um, you know, I um, enjoy your enthusiasm. Uh, you know, you bring a lot of heart to the show. Thanks. Um, um, but I, I, I disagree with your interpretation of the trade deadline. I... Um, you know, for one thing, you know, trade deadlines are all about dance partners. And you, you can't make trades unless you have a partner, and uh, you, there's no way for us to know what the uh, talent the Mets were offering and how the other team evaluated them. And, 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 and surely the Nationals uh, weren't going to do anything to help us. So oh, they definitely that. took everything out, out of division. Sure, sir. Forget uh, about it. And, and the, the one thing about, um, you know, the, the bias thing um, – I mean, I think he's a um, ridiculously talented player uh, who um, I have a feeling is going to be tremendously motivated um, by the situation here in New York. Um, and I don't think it's McNeil who's going to be – you know, I think the, the, the risk that I'm concerned about is that he and Lindor obviously are tight, and I, and I, they have a certain type of personality, and I'm, I don't know um, whether – question is, will they lead the team or will they divide the team? McNeil isn't going anywhere. It's Davis who's going to be the odd man out. Davis has shown that he's a T-ball hitter who can crush a pitch that's where he likes it but doesn't touch anything else. Mm -hmm. He's had his chances, and I really hoped he would turn into the kind of bat that we wanted, but I I, I think he's strictly a a bat off the bench. And uh, McNeil, the question is, it's going to be very interesting to see, you know. Um, uh, I think Baez has a better arm and would make a better third baseman. Um, but I, I think because of the status of the double play combo, it's probably Jeff who's going to have to slide over, and he'll do it. But it's uh, um, McNeil's bat um, is a key part of any good lineup. It's a different kind of bat yes. than Baez, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so uh, you know, um, it's scary what the Dodgers did, uh, and I hope my team can hang in there. Um, but I, I, I don't judge the organization because I can't, I, you know, you can't force someone to dance with you, you know? And mm-hmm. so they got to want your talent. And, and, um, so, um, unless we really know exactly, uh, what Minnesota was going to ask us for Barrios. Oh, forget it. I, um, I didn't want him at all. I, I'm so glad yeah. that, that, that our teams here in New York stayed away from him. You'll see. Yeah. You'll see. Well, you know, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, uh, you know, I, that, that's my take. I, I told um, I, earlier in the day, I said, and I don't know how you feel about this. I, I, I go back to the 60s, and I think the greatest period in baseball was between 1965 and 75 when they had the amateur draft, 
which leveled the playing field and until the 75, the advent of free agency. And, and I, I just think as exciting as these trades were through, uh, to see, it was just incredible. The talent had shifted. The idea that a championship team like the Dodgers that 260 million can add two of the best players in ba- baseball, two players who are better than any two players that their chief rival, the Giants, can put on the field. It, it's just not – it's anti-competitive. And so I, I think it's it's not good for, for, for baseball. Uh, I – you know, I, although I love baseball, I think the NFL got it right. With the parody. Mm-hmm. Well, just the idea that um, that they share licensing revenues, television revenues. Like there's no reason that the major markets should get, you know, I don't even know what it is now, what they get from their cable deals. And, and you know, teams like Milwaukee that have built a great team, you know, can't, can't even think of that. And, and teams like Pittsburgh that will run three playoff years, but eventually they can't retain the talent, they can't keep the talent. Uh, you know, I, I turned on Oakland today against California, and it's just – I know Oakland can never get by the Yankees, but it's just miraculous what they do year in, year in, year out. And obviously Tampa Bay – the genius of Tampa Bay is amazing. So, so I really have a problem with these anti-competitive mechanisms. So I really appreciate the time and um, uh, love to hear your thoughts. Um, um, but McNeil will play. He, he will not sit down, I promise. Jack, thanks for the call. And there was so much there, Jack. Um, I don't know what to react for first, but I, I, I will agree with you that McNeil will, will play. He will play anywhere. He is that kind of a player. He's a gritty player, and he is – uh, a valuable player to those Mets. And, and if you're a Mets fan out there listening right now, um, I think the best advice, not advice, but the best bit of information, the best perspective, that's the word, I can bring to you is the fact that if the Mets get to, let's say, the NL championship, the National League championship game, think about who their opponent could potentially be. The best news, if you're a Mets fan, is that this Dodgers team, this San Francisco Giants team and this San Diego Padres team, they're all going to eventually, like, have to knock out each other, like, right? Which is going to be the last one standing? I'm going to go with the Dodgers. I just circled LAD on my page. I took notes as you were talking. Uh, I think I think, I think, think it's going to be Mets-Dodgers and LCS. I think the Mets can get a little lucky. I think the Dodgers are a more talented team. I think the Mets maybe can get a little lucky, but we are getting way, way, way ahead of ourselves right now. And as far as the uh, major market, minor market thing, that is something that is well beyond my pay grade. If I had the answer to that, I'd be a millionaire sitting in the MLB offices, uh, you know, wherever those are, either either here in New York City or in Skokus, whatever. But um, I, I don't have a solution for it. I am a solution-based program, and um, I just don't have a solution for that. I'm sorry. Let's go to Peter in Connecticut. You're up next on the fan. How are you? What's up, Peter? Well, I'm listening to you. It's the first time I listen to you on a Saturday night. All right. I think you do a pretty good job, actually. Oh, well, you sound surprised. Well, no. It's the first time I hear somebody on a Saturday night. I'm not surprised. I talk to Lori every Sunday. There you go. All right. Well, well welcome to the show. Thanks for calling. Thank <laughs> My question is, I have a couple about the Mets. Okay. I've been a Mets fan since, well, I'm 58 years old, so you could do the math. Um, how many times have you seen one pattern or one player get picked off of a base? Because to me, oh I think Jonathan Villar drove me nuts. The, the platinum record for that just this year alone. Yeah, it's it's four. His record is four, and it is the most in the major league. Yes, this year. 
Is that all it is? It seems like it's more like five or six, but maybe I'm wrong. They said on the broadcast four. So. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll take their word for it. But it just yeah. seems like, I mean, really? <laughs> brutal. I mean, My, why didn't okay. Rojas sit him down after that? That was just brutal. Well, I mean, after the second time, this got, um, we can go on to this forever. I know. I, I just got a couple of questions. Yeah. Number one, what does, besides anatomy, what does uh, Alonzo have in common with Lindor? Because I don't understand why Lindor was permanently cemented in the two-hole. Mm-hmm. And my own personal opinion has been all season that no team that's serious about winning is going to keep a guy batting so horribly up in the, in the so batting. So high, yeah. Their, their, their unwillingness to move him down, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, if you want to make an argument that, hey, we believe that Lindor is going to give us the best opportunity, well, then you can't even compare the two types of players. So then how could you then say Alonzo is the best guy to two hold? Because I'm sitting there watching the game today. I'm saying, does McNeil bat after? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like saying, you know, yeah. you're going to have Vince Vaughn, uh, Vince Coleman bat after Mark McGuire. It, it just seems like the whole game is backwards, and yeah. I just can't imagine Bobby Barry Bonds batting second for, for the Giants. It's that a great that. point. Right, and if you're a Yankee fan, and I'm tired of seeing it too, why on earth is, is Aaron Judge batting second? I don't I don't understand that. I don't get it either. And now, they, now they've got Gallo batting second, and he hits into the least amount of double plays possible Yet they're going to bat him second. Why? Yeah, isn't it? I mean, which one of those guys? Isn't it Rizzo that has like a second, like a two-strike approach that yes. Hardy ever strikes out? Yes. Am I right? Yes, you're correct. So I mean, I'm watching the Met game. Here's again. This is just my opinion. I thank you for the time, by yeah. the way. Mm-hmm. After watching how Diaz reacted coming into the Big Apple and playing under the big lights, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering: did the Mets not learn anything from that, and then they go and give. Lindor a contract before they see how he plays. In New York. And I'm saying to like, what? But this is a team that had a batter batting 320, your favorite player, McNeil. You could go through the anal, uh, the annals of, of baseball for 150 years. You'd never find a team with a 320 batting average second baseman that hustles down the field, mm-hmm. plays everything like his life depends on it, and get displaced by a 37-year-old PED abuser. But this is what the Mets do. And now they got another well, guy out of position with Dom Smith. Yeah. They did it to Daniel Murphy. Yes. They did it to Dom Smith. And now they're doing it to Jeff McNeil. Like, these guys don't need any more pressure than just going in and learning maybe how to play against a particular batter, uh, pitcher for this. Yeah. So, uh, and now they got, oh, well, he's got to do this. And uh, i got to turn double play. I'm not here. I'm on third base. No. The, I watched Dom Smith today. He made a miraculous catch. I saw that, too. Great catch. It, it, but he wasn't even looking. He just stuck his glove out there and, and hoped for the best. It was do or die, and that was it. Right. It didn't look like he really was. He didn't give me the Jim Edmonds-like confidence yes. for that ball. I agree. And even Cohen's like, he caught the ball. Like, yeah. was, <laughs> I know, yeah. He wasn't looking at it, but it landed in his glove. Peter, awesome. Thanks for the call. Good points there. Uh, to, I, I want to say this. Um, I agree with you on a lot of that. I looked up, as you were talking, the splits for Francisco Lindor, because I was curious to see where he hits best. This is how, See, this is how I would fill out a line of card if I were a manager. Um, he hits best in a three-hole. Francisco Lindor is a, three, a career 
300, and this is based on a sample size of 813 at-bats. Okay, so he's a career best when he bats third. That's something to really think about. Batting him second is not the answer. I'm with you on that. Um, the one thing I will say about getting all, playing all these guys, you know, getting Jeff McNeil displaced by Robinson Cano, which was an abomination, aberration, that was done by the old Mets regime. That was, th- those were the old Mets. That was the Brody Van Wagen, and those were the Wilpons. <laughs> What's his name is, is gone, still on the contract, but he, he hasn't been seen, Robinson Cano. McNeil is the second baseman, or, or was the second baseman uh, until Baez was acquired. Now, the reason why Dom Smith is playing in left field, I agree. It's horrible. I hate the experiment. He's adapted well enough. I mean, to go from playing infield you know, on the, on the first base, let's just say, because he's first baseman, to playing left field, that not only is an adjustment from one side of the field to the other, it's an adjustment from the infield to the outfield. I can't imagine doing that adjustment at the major league level. I mean, major props to Dom Smith. However, it doesn't look like it should still. Right? Let's be honest. The reason why, though, is because the NL does not have a DH. That's the reason. They need his bat in the lineup, and because they don't have a DH, he had to learn how to play left field. That's it. And hopefully, you know, the the runs that he gives up, potentially, in, in, in left field, will be at a minimum. I mean, that's that's the thought process. Honestly, that's what it is. So, hopefully, next season, if there is a next season, the, the collective bargaining agreement will put a designated hitter, or they will agree to put a designated hitter in National League lineups. Um, because, you know what? I mean, I, I looked at the Yankee game today, and, and I'll take more of your calls coming up, but I, I looked at the Yankee game today, Domingo Herman, AL pitcher, clearly, obviously, playing in an NL ballpark, 0 for 10 career as a, as a hitter with nine strikeouts. I mean, is that what you want to watch? I mean, that's not what I want to watch. It's horrible. That's, like, ridiculous. That's stupid. That's just so stupid. So that's my little tangent on that. Um, we will come right back. I, I'm gauging the level of excitement. I see some Yankee calls on hold. So I'm gauging the level of excitement from Yankees fans regarding the moves their team made at the trade deadline, both online at Coach MCCARTAN and on the phones. We'll gauge that interest coming right up. Welcome back. Tim McCartney in the morning here on the Fan in New York, guys. It is flying by. This has been a, a, a very fast night, fast and furious with Yankees and Mets trade deadline baseball talk, and, and I'm just trying to gauge some interest among Yankee fans. And I see a lot of Yankees calls on hold, and I will get to you guys momentarily in the order that you guys called. If you're getting a busy signal, you can go ahead and tweet me, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Or if you're not on Twitter, which many of you are not, you can go to Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan as well. The Mets made a move to acquire a marquee name player in Javi Baez, which to me, I said it, I've said it a hundred times, was the wrong move. It should have been Chris Bryant. We'll get into that in a little while. But the Yankees fulfilled their need for a big-time lefty bat with not one but two of them in the forms of Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo. Due Italiani Medicani. So I put up a poll Friday night asking Yankee fans, are you happy with the construction of your team at the conclusion of the trade deadline? 64% of Yankee fans are happy with it. And there were no comments, which I was kind of surprised. 
Um, as I detail in the open, the Yankees have set their agenda, their strategy, and they went all in on it. And although I'm not a fan of the philosophy, we'll see what happens. But how easy are these two Italian guys to root for? Joey Gallo, a graduate of Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas, where I've talked about him a lot here on, on the show here. I just was out there with them. That's where my friends went. But they, my one friend is little Christina. She's younger. She missed him by just one year. Um, she's one year younger than me, but she missed him by a year. Ugh. I mean, Gallo's dad is from Bensonhurst. The mom was born in Castellamare del Golfo Sicilia, which is just a two-hour drive from where my family's from. He grew up a Yankee fan. Anthony Rizzo. Did you see the story from a friend of the show, NJ.com, is Brandon Cuddy? Great article. Rizzo has deep roots in Bergen County, actually. And he has his own gelato flavor at Lynnhurst Pastry Shop. And did you see Rizzo asked his brother to bring his flavor gelato to the Yankee clubhouse on Monday for the teammates to try. I will be there covering the game, so maybe I will get a taste of that too. We'll see. Credentialed through the fan. I don't know what the protocols are. This is my first game uh, post-COVID, my first game ever covering the Yankees actually, and obviously first game in this COVID era, post-COVID lockout last season, whatever. But anyway, all I'm saying is that I'm excited to see these two players play individually. I hope they can get it done for the Yankees as a collective group. Rizzo's a free agent at the end of the season, whereas Gallo won't be one until the conclusion of the 2022 season. And you want to know something funny that I came across? In Anthony Rizzo's contract, and we'll get to the calls right after this, 877-337-6666. In Anthony Rizzo's contract, it says that he must be guaranteed a hotel suite on all road games. I am going to remember that for myself one day. So props to him, props to his agent for looping that one in there. Anthony Rizzo gets a suite for all road series. Smart man. Very smart man. Got room service up for life now. I know. You can get spread out. You know. Cheese platter, wine on the <laughs> off days. <laughs> Bathtub. Hot tub. Hot tub. Rizzo, you're the man, dude. Let's go to Brooklyn and Stewart. You're up on the fan. Good morning, Coach. How are you, Stuart? Always a pleasure to talk to you. Of course. Same, likewise. Yeah, uh, last week I mentioned something, and I think you'll remember what it was, but that's, that's never going to happen. But I do remember in 2008 that they said our family's commitment is to put a championship team on the field every year. Yes. Yeah. And that's because George was on his uh, so-called deathbed. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's a shame George passed away. At uh, 80, at age, age 80. And um, uh, the moves, like I said to the producer, uh, was to save Brian Cashman's job. I, I don't know what your opinion on that is, but I think that, that that's the way I, I, I'm getting the vibe on that. that. That's the vibe I'm getting. I mean, he, he's been on a job 23 years. I don't know of any other general manager since I've been following baseball, which is since 1957. And I don't know of any other general manager having a job for 23 years. Do you? Yeah, you know, that that's the one thing I talked about maybe about three weeks ago. I said, I said, listen, everybody, this could be Brian Cashman selling the farm in order to save his job. And, and he, the Yankees did part with 10 prospects. In, in their dealing. I know Sessa and Justin Wilson. What other players did he part with of note? Here, uh, I've, I've got a list of them of note. 
Yeah, Park went to Pittsburgh. Here, let me pull this up. I, I got a Google Good. Docs ready for it. Um, I should have printed it, but I did not. Um, okay. There were ten prospects that I know of that parted with him, or with he, which he parted with. They were, hold on, loading, loading, loading. Um, right-hand pitcher Jason Junk, Elvis Peguero, Otto Smith, Duran, Hover, Vizcaino. I, I think these were the ones, maybe Vizcaino and Alcantara went to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, those were prospects, though. Wilson and Sessa were, were MLB players. Right. And then for Pittsburgh, I would say Park was probably, probably the biggest one was Park that went to Pittsburgh. Right. Um, and Castillo is another one. But none of them, I don't think, were, were in the top, top, top tiers. I mean, they still have Jason Dominguez. They still no, have... They better, not, they, they better not touch him. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, no, 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 no. So he, what, what he did was he, he traded... The, that guy's the next... Uh, he's the next big thing. Yeah, he is. That's what they're saying. But we'll mm-hmm. see, you know. Um, but he, they, what Brian Cashman did was he kind of traded... Quantity, not quality, I think, out at, at of the prospects. So for well, that, I, mean, if that's I don't know. that's the case, I think he did, he saved his job, but he did a smart thing. And, and you know what the smartest thing was? That that those teams, the Rangers and the Cubs, and took on the remaining. The yeah, right. How cool that's is awesome. that? Right. I mean, that 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 I'll give him credit for. Yes, me too. 23 years on the job. I agree. Oh, my God. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed, <laughs> And Aaron Boone. Uh, have you seen? I mean, no. I keep watching him, and I keep saying to myself, "What are you kidding me?" I I've never, I know a lot of people that never manage a baseball game, baseball, and they could do a better job than him <laughs> with, his, with the way he handles a bullpen. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. And his starting pitcher is ridiculous. Oh, Yanks him at the four nah, nah, Come forget on, forget him. He's just he's just ridiculous with it. The way he handles the pitching staff. Yeah. Come on. Well, I mean, Matt, I'm sure Matt Blake could do a better job of handling a pitching staff than, than Aaron Boone. Yeah. And he looks, he has no fire. He's not a fiery manager. Luis Rojas has more fire than him. Agreed. And Alex Cora, he's tops on the list. Yeah. That man has fire in the gut. And look how and their he, teams he, are playing, he, both in first place, Stuart. Awesome. Yeah. Good good call there. Good observation. The one thing that I would say that um, they asked about, uh, John Carlos Stanton. They asked John Carlos Stanton about um, Anthony Rizzo, what he brings to the clubhouse. You know what he said? Energy, enthusiasm. I'm paraphrasing. Energy, enthusiasm, a little bit of fire. I like that. I like that. Anthony Rizzo, I'm telling you, I, I, I think Anthony Rizzo is going to retire Yankee. I'm saying it right now. In the order that you guys call, let's go to Paul in Floral Park. You're up next on the fan, Paul. How are you, Danielle? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Hey, uh, uh, t- uh, t- Robbie brought up uh, the fact that uh, uh, John Carlos Stanton should have his uh, batting stance uh, tweaked with. I agree with that. That's, uh, yeah, uh, too close. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's still still swinging the bat like a porcelain <laughs> china doll. <laughs> like, a, like a porcelain china doll. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> hey, hey, guess what? He played the outfield two games in a yeah. row. How's that? Yeah. Whoa. How about that? It's I like that. Yeah. Not a mirage. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, I like the two moves with uh, Anthony Rizzo and uh, Joe, Joey Gallo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, it, it definitely brings balance. And Paul, thanks for the call there. It definitely brings balance to that lineup. And, and just, I know I'm like making this into a big joke, but Giancarlo Stanton played left field in back-to-back games for the first time since September 27th and 28th of guess when? 2019. 
the next notification that comes through is going to be Giancarlo Stanton to the IL with a with a calf strain. You watch, you watch. I'm just watching this. Fernando Tatis placed on 10-day IL, dislocated left shoulder for the third time this season. Yikes! That looked worse than the 10-day yeah. IL stint. Yeah, yikes. I just saw that on TV. Okay, any order that you guys call, let's go back to it. Hector in Washington Heights, you're up next on the fan. Hey, Daniel, thanks for taking the call. Of course, Hector, what's up? Not much. Uh, first thing I want to say is I hope you're right about that uh, Dodgers NLCS prediction you have, or, or not prediction, but feeling or whatever you want to call it, because mm-hmm. that, that would be great for me. Um, and I also got to say, it's going to be a little different. I appreciate and I agree with you on the whole bias being the wrong move for the Mets. Yes. Now, as a diehard best friend that I am, of course, I'm, I'm going to support it now, right. and I hope he does well. Exactly. Um, but I wasn't really too happy about it. You know, I felt like it was a move that they made because, you know, that he did a little interview. He mentioned wanting to play with Lindor. Mm-hmm. They see that. The media gets behind it. Lindor signs off on it. Okay, so let's do this, and let's try to make this guy happy. Right. I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure that was, like, the best move for the team for the needs that we have. Right. Did you see, and, did you see, wait, wait, on that point, did you see on the broadcast where they had uh, Zach Scott in, in the SNY booth, did you see it? They they kind of point blank asked him, like, did you consult Lindor about this? And he was basically like, you know, no, I wouldn't say, it is the quote, I wouldn't say any player had influence. I talked to Francisco on Javi. I wanted to get his take on how he would fit in, not only as a player, but in the clubhouse dynamic. I talked to some other players about some different guys. You wait until you get close. You're not asking for permission. Okay, do, yeah. you, do you believe him or not believe him? I don't know about that. I don't believe that at all. I did see when he said that. Well, I saw, like, the replay of it because I, I was at the game. I'm usually at the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I did see that he said that. And I, yeah, I, I didn't buy that. I didn't buy that at all. I just feel like I said, I feel like it's something they saw that he that Myers first mentioned and, you know, Lindor got behind it, and they said, let's, let's, let's keep this guy happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause, and, and also, like, I've been very optimistic about this team all season. Right, wrong, whatever. For whatever reason, I feel good about it. And then we get to this week, and even before this week, you know, losing four out of three to the Pirates, that bothered me. Then you lose, what, three out of five to the Braves, and then you get to the trade deadline, and we really didn't do much besides Lindor. Yeah, they had traded for Rich Hill a couple of days before that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, there was so many needs that you see, and I would have liked them to see maybe get some bullpen help, yes. maybe another starter besides Hill. And then you go Friday night and lose the Reds. So I got to admit, Daniel, I went in there today to that game, and I was just feeling it. Like, I was now feeling the optimism that, I, optimism that I've had all year. But to go there, to go tonight, and even though I wasn't behind the bias trade, like I said, now I'm behind it because now I'm wanting to do well. Yeah, you have it's to be. the home run. Yeah, right. You know, we get the comeback win. Dom Smith with a big hit to tie the game. And yep. the Brewery, who's just been great. Yeah. It's been awesome. I, I was so happy they had him in the lineup today. I don't know what made Louie do it. Maybe the lefty thing, whatever. But oh, he had been... to be in there, and he, he did the job. Since he came up, and Hector, thanks for the call. I appreciate the perspective of always being at the games. Um since Drury has come back from AAA, he has been 11 for 15. Oh, think about that. He's 11 for 15. I'm doing the math right here. 11 divided by 15. It's a 7.33 batting average since he came back from AAA. 11 for 15, including the game-winning hit, um, and I believe the game-tying hit the other night, but the game-winning hit, of course, 
uh, on Saturday night at City Field. Amazing. Amazing. I got a tweet from at Bubba11368. He said, the best meme that describes rooting for the Yankees 2021 is, in, and then he sent me the meme, just when I was out, they pulled me back in. I don't like that. and retweet that because I feel you. I feel you. Definitely. Okay, let's go in the order that you guys called. Ken in Queens, you're up next on the fan. Hi, Danielle. What's up, Ken? I have two important points I'd like to discuss with you. Mm-hmm. I just want to touch on the first one and really get into the second one. Okay, the first one is about Baez. I sort of wanted Baez, and I'll tell you why uh, briefly. I think when Lindor comes back, these two guys are going to light a fire under each other. They're going to compete. They're great friends. We gave up a pretty good prospect for, for him, and I think he has a better chance of maybe resigning with the Mets next year uh, because of Lindor, okay? And he plays with an edge, Danielle. That's what I really like about that. that. He does. Okay? Yes. Okay. Now, the second point, I'm not a Yankee fan, but I envy them, and I'm going to tell you why. Number one, they keep key guys away from their competitors. All day, Rizzo was rumored to go to the Red Sox. Yeah. The Yankees, of yeah. course, get him. Okay? With the Mets, they let Kyle Gibson, yeah. Rich Rodriguez, Ian Kennedy, yeah. Ian Kennedy. Yeah. They let all these guys go to the competition yeah. because the Mets organization – Sometimes, well, a lot of the times, Danielle, to tell you the truth, mm-hmm. it's terrible. You got to keep, I don't care what you have to do, you got to keep these guys away from your competitors. Yes. And the bottom line, Danielle, is if, if the Grom don't come back, they're not going to do anything anyway. Let's face it, if Grom is, doesn't come back in September, he's not the same or it's over, it's over anyway. Mm. Good point there, Ken, and, and I appreciate that. The one thing I will say is that Jose Barrios did go to the Blue Jays. Not sure how far the Yankees were in on him. Uh, I'm luck- uh, luckily, that the Mets and the Yankees did not go and get him. The reason why I'm so against Jose Barrios, his quality start percentage is 37%. I mean, the Blue Jays gave up a ton to get him. They're not going to get a ton in return for him, I'm telling you, in, ter- in terms of performance. I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now. So that's going to be sort of like a big bust for me, I think. But you're right. Kyle Gibson was – I highlighted him in green on my page here. Kyle Gibson was the guy. If they were going to go out and, and not get, obviously, the Max Scherzer, he wasn't coming to the Mets. Sorry to break it to you. Um, and I don't think the Yankees were, were going to go up and, and, and get a guy like him. But Kyle Gibson was my number one pitcher, starting pitcher, that is. Um, I, I have him colored green. Herman Marquez was colored green. And also John Means was colored uh, green for me. Those were like my top tier guys. And, of course, um, Tyler Anderson, too, but he was one of the first guys to go. I think he was the first guy to go. But, anyway, uh, Kyle Gibson went to the Phillies. You're right. He was He's, he's, he's going to be good. Then you got Ian Kennedy went to the Braves. And my top guy, not named Craig Kimbrell, was uh, actually my third guy was Richard Rodriguez, Pittsburgh. Daniel Hudson went from Washington to, to the Padres. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to be this person, but Yankee fans, I'm not going to tell you how I know. You're not going to ever know how I know. But Treya Turner thought that he was going to be a Yankee. I know he thought he was going to be a Yankee on the day before the, Thursday. 
When he went to sleep Thursday night, Trey Turner thought he was going to be Yankee. I don't know how far into Friday that changed. And I'm not going to tell you how I know. But Trey Turner was this close to being a Yankee. I'm thinking that Washington tried to unload both of them, and the Yankees were not in on both of them for whatever reason. Or the package that the Yankees were willing to offer for both of them was not you know, up to the, the Washington Nationals' liking. But if they had gone separate ways... I'm telling you, Trey Turner, when he went to bed Thursday night, thought that he was going to be a New York Yankee. Obviously, he, he I don't know, again, on, how far on Friday that changed, but he's now an L.A. Dodger along with Max Scherzer. And Saturday night, the Mets inducted members into its Hall of Fame for the first time since 2013. Mike Piazza was the only inductee that year. You can go ahead and Google the current list of players inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame. In addition to this year's inductees, who would you like to see inducted next? I'll give you my thoughts. Coming right up. The fan is on your smart speaker. To listen to the home of New York sports, just say, hey, Google. Okay, Google. Play WFAN. Started from the bottom, now yeah. And you guys are here on the fan with me, Danielle McCartan, and with him, Kevin Wall, answering your calls at 877-337-6666. Prior to Saturday night's game, the Mets inducted players into their Hall of Fame for the first time since 2013. That absence of inductees for that long is a real abomination, a real embarrassment, a real aberration for any franchise. But one in a major market like New York? You mean to tell me that there weren't any worthy players? Come on. That was just a mark of an apathetic ownership. I asked before the break for you to give me the names of more potential inductees. Now that they've started it up again for the first time since 2013, can't wait to hear him. But for now, in his first season as owner with fans in the stands, Steve Cohen is bringing integrity back into what really is a proud franchise. Saturday night, three men were inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame. One, Edgardo Alfonso, as you know, an infielder who was an all-star and a silver slugger with the Mets. Ron Darling, pitcher slash Obviously, broadcaster who was an all-star, a gold glove winner, and a World Series champion with the Mets. And John Matlack, pitcher, who was a three-time all-star and NL Rookie of the Year with the Mets. Darling said, in a pitching-rich organization, even to be considered as a guy that's Hall of Fame worthy is very humbling and very exciting at the same time. To me, there is one really glaring omission, like extra glaring. And again, I'm, I'm 33 years old just turned 33 pretty much, David Wright. David Wright's a glaring omission. He should be in next year's class. And, of course, Bartolo Colon. Just kidding. Okay, let's go back to the phone calls. 877-337-6666. Ben in Queens, you're up next on the fan. Morning there, Coach. How are you? Took the week off last week because I was immersed in Olympic action. I figured you were. Um, With that being said, get well soon kind of feels. Um... Um, and props to NBC for their coverage because I have seen so many sports. You know, uh, Ben, no, I, I've got one qualm about the NBC coverage. Okay. It's the fact that there was one night. I mean, all of the sports that I want to be, but all the sports that I want to see, like the the women's basketball on at 1 a.m. You've got the women's soccer Tuesday 4 a.m. Uh, you know what I mean? Like uh, these times of these things, it's just. 
Killing you. Yeah, I would really, I would love to tune into those events. I just, I'm not setting an alarm for 3.30 in the morning to watch a soccer game. You know what I mean? I know. I, hey, DV, I've, I've had to DVR half and half, and I could only imagine your reaction for that performance against Sweden. Oh, oh. my God. I woke up, and I, I didn't get a notification of the score on my phone. I was like, oh, the game's still on. So I jumped out of bed, and I put it on TV, and I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. I was watching by myself, me and the dog. I scared the dog with all the yelling I was doing. But, yeah, what a performance that was. Oh. oh, my God. Uh, yo, I, I I think they don't like this coach. You I think really, it's Vladko? I really think so. The reason why is this last game, which they won by penalties, mm-hmm. you could see in that second half there was no thrust. There was no... They survived the extra time to get to penalties. Yes. They had nothing. They weren't attacking. And I, when was the last time you said a U.S. women's football team wasn't attacking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, but, but you know what, though? Kristen Press had two goals called back. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, that offside flag was Yeah, uh, and there was another and, one, too. Press and uh, the other one. Oh, Alex Morgan had one called back on her yeah. in, in the final, like, you know, closing time. So... I don't know about that, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just a different vibe. And you know what? No matter what happens, this is the going away song for a lot of them. I so, know. You know I, 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 all I'm thinking about is happiness with this team, mm-hmm. I, you know, stuff like that. Uh, quickly, NBA, I'm throwing grenades at both ESPN and ABC. Reason why is, hey, guys, Knicks resurgence, right? That's beautiful. I don't see their picks anywhere when I get home. Mm-hmm. I I look at the chart. I don't see them. I don't see them. I ha- I went to SNY and thank you SNY mm-hmm. to see who they picked, and I'm like, we took two six nine power forwards. I'm like, what what are we trying to build? The triple towers now? Is that what we're doing? Uh, they're trying to build the Yankees outfield. Oh, well, yeah. And, and you know what? I will end on that one. The the Yankees outfield. It's amazing how something we've wished for since April, we get and we still hate. Okay, we got Judge out of the two-hole. Finally. And they put Gallo there. And why? Gallo there. <laughs> why? I don't know why. Uh, I can't. Uh, I just, I'm like, uh, Gallo ain't that type of hitter, guys. Um, you know what, Ben? Though, no, let's wait and to see what they do until DJ LeMahieu comes back from that tricep injury. We'll see. I'm gonna wait to reserve judgment, but I don't get it either. This, this, this will be interesting when when he comes back because I'm like, okay, here's DJ. DJ goes to the top. All right, no problem. Torres, no. Gallo. No, we're going to be back to judge again. I know. Oh, God. Uh, Urshela. Maybe Urshela would be good there. Uh, well, I'll, I'll try to keep the lefty-righty switch. And, oh, God, those words feel good to say out of my mouth. You know what? Maybe maybe they'll put Grandpa Gardner there. Maybe he'll be there. Oh, 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 oh. Th- thanks, Coach. That the slippery slope I wanted to end this call on. Thank you. you, you you're a real friend. Uh, anyway, enjoy the rest of the show. I'll be listening. All right, thanks, Ben. Talk next week. Let's go to uh, Bobby in Yonkers. Bobby, you're up next on the fan. 
Bobby! Hey! hey. Uh, I'm here, I'm here. I'm okay, here. okay, good. And I'm so, so, so pumped right now. I got, I got this broadcast. Are you follow swimming at all? I, you know Are what? Are you into this swimming for the Olympics at all? I, I, I've seen it on TV. I haven't, oh, I haven't paid no. attention. I really haven't. Oh, no, my God. Is that because there's no Michael Phelps? Is that the reason? No, no, no. You know why? Because it's on in, in prime time, like 8 o'clock, 7, 8 o'clock, and I have to have split yeah. screen Yankees and Mets on. And I don't have enough screens. That's why. Oh, oh, okay. All right, all right. That's why. All right. So, um, well, I'll tell you right now, it's a swimmer's dream right now. I mean, and it's my dream to have you on the radio and have Rowdy. Elizabeth Beisel and Dan Hicks on the video. It doesn't get any. It's not getting better. <laughs> is it live now? It oh, it's not. Oh, okay. It has not gotten any better than that, Danielle, since 1976, when I was watching Yonkers' own Bobby Hackett go stroke for stroke with world record holder Brian Goodell and just just lose by an eyelash. At the touch. Oh. This is the most exciting I've been since 1976. My boy, Bobby Hackett, silver medal in Montreal. Nice. And I have told Bobby, and Bobby knows, my, well, <laughs> Bobby knows that I have watched him win that silver medal. I've watched that video a hundred times more than he has ever watched it. <laughs> sure. You're a big fan. It sounds like you're a big fan of Bobby. He, yeah, I, I will make well, sure I, I tune into some of the t- swimming uh, things just for you. Yeah. Also, I want to say it's another huge, huge night just on another subject. I mean, I've got some great news from the FTC and my ex-girlfriend Jenny. Oh my God! Did we take it to that ex-boyfriend of hers? Well, oh, Bobby, my. I have no idea what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> but the Olympics and that and that crazy story, uh, sure, I'll check out some swimming for you. Sounds like he's over. <laughs> you know what? Whatever. Let's not even give it any more time of day. I don't know what that was or where that was going, but you know what? There's always one, Kevin. As you learned, there is always one of those callers. Oh, I know. Oh. oh. All right, let's go to Eric in Manhattan. You are up next on the fan, Eric. Hey, Danielle. I'm a big Mets fan. I yes. Just... <laughs> I feel like Javier Diaz makes a big impact on the team, but he also doesn't because he strikes out a bunch, and he's, like, not having that good of you. So I just wanted to see what you thought of uh, his action that the Mets made. Eric, have you been paying attention, or did you just tune in or something? I just tuned in. Oh, okay, okay. All right, Eric. I'll, I'll hang up so you can hear the answer here. So um, Javier Baez um, strikes out. So I started it by 100 plate appearances, you know, minimum. Strikes out tenth most in the, in the league of all qualified batters that have a hundred plate appearances this year. So far, he strikes out tenth most. Um, with that being said, I think he's a fine enough player. He will be playing out of position for the Mets once Lindor comes back. He's yet another Met that will be playing out of position. I don't, and for that reason, I don't like the fit. He's a fine enough player. I don't like the fit on this Mets team. The number one priority for me was Chris Bryant. And when you saw the notification that Baez went to the Mets, you knew Bryant was on his way to San Francisco. So it wasn't that Bryant was unavailable for the Mets at that given juncture. It's just, I guess, that they prioritized Baez over him or or the Giants didn't like the package that they were giving back. But you know what, though? 
you know, the, the Giants ended up giving their number seven and their number 17 prospect for Bryant. I think the Mets could have shaken out a deal somewhat similar to that. Uh, so I have uh, questions on just the, the fit, position-wise. Where does he fit in? That's my biggest concern with him. But if you're playing him straight up at second base, he is a better second baseman than, than offensively speaking, than Jeff McNeil. It just is. I ran eight or nine different categories. He's better than him in most. Um, so as a second baseman, he's an upgrade for sure. But I'm worried about what that would do then, like the domino effect. Okay, then you move McNeil to third, right? Or do you sit McNeil because you want J.D. Davis's bat? Or do you sit McNeil or, or do you put McNeil in left field because of Dom Smith's bat? You know what I'm saying? It, it just it opened up a big sort of confusion surrounding the team. Whereas if you had Chris Bryant at third base, there really isn't much confusion, honestly. There isn't much confusion that way. So I think um, I think they, the Mets picked the wrong cup. Yeah, they picked Baez, whereas they should have gone Bryant. <laughs> the wrong cub that starts with the B, even. Um, so that's kind of where, where I stand on that. I think that um, the grade I assigned the Mets was a B because I think that because Zach Scott admitted to the, the SNY broadcast that they knew about the severity of Jacob deGrom's injury, and this is, he said the word hours before, I think that the Mets should have gone, because, you know, this could be fickle. This could be a fickle thing that bothers him throughout the season. I think they should have shored up their, their starting pitching just a little bit. I got a tweet from Rebecca Kalyani. She said, I heard Max Scherzer did not want to play for either New York team, so if they were a package deal, that may be why Trey Turner is not a Yankee. Uh, yes, I did hear that too. I'm not sure if he just specified just the Yankees he didn't want to pitch for or was it the Mets too, but I did hear something about New York as well. But I'm telling you, Trey Turner went to bed on Thursday night thinking he was going to be a Yankee. I can tell you that for a fact. I can't tell you how I know that, but but I do. That's how I, I do know it. Sorry. Sorry to do that to you guys. I hate to be that person, but it is what it is. Um, okay, Seth Cancer has an update for you. Come right up. Welcome back to this very lively edition of McCartan in the morning here on The Fan on this August 1st. I hope you guys got outside on Saturday. It was a beautiful, what, 75-degree day, low humidity. I know I went out for a run. And by run, that's a very loose term. I did my feet did move me to almost just about. I'm gonna say two miles, but it was like 1.96 miles. Um, I broke a sweat, did some tricep things in the bag. So I, you know, I, I did get outside today in, in in the midst of all this prep. That was like my little brain break. Um, you guys know I wake up in the morning and I just open the computer and just kind of just start. So uh, that was my. That was my little get outside today. I did work a little bit outside. It was like a UV8 at one point today. I tried to work on my... You guys know I'm, I'm, I'm not happy with the, my, my level of tan so far this summer, so I did try to work on that as well. And uh, what an exciting day for New York baseball. I, again, the Mets um, replay is on TV. The, the, uh, the highlights are on TV. Joey Votto missed history by just a couple inches. 
He was trying to become the fourth player in baseball history that had homered in four, I mean, I'm sorry, in eight consecutive games, missed it by, uh, I would say, about four inches. That sucks. They just showed it on TV. But the Mets, I, I want to say that they they had it. It's thrilling come from behind extra innings victory, which they did. However, it, in my opinion, it really shouldn't have even gotten that far because you got a guy like like VR gets picked off at second base. Who gets picked off at second base, first of all? I mean, don't you hear the footsteps? What is wrong with you that you get picked off at second base? And then two batters later, Baez gets up and hits a home run. And instead of it being a game-tying home run in, I think it was, what, the sixth inning, uh, it ends up being a, a – a, uh, sets the score at 4-3. to three. That is a huge, glaring mistake. The one thing about this Mets team is that when they get down, they don't get out. They are not knocked out, which is um, – it's admirable. That's for sure. And uh, that's something that I would like to see now from the Yankees team. Because, listen, when the Yankees get down, to me – they have been quite lifeless. They don't feel, uh, to me, they don't feel like they can climb back into it. Let's just put it that way. But they are re-energized by the likes of Anthony Rizzo, Joey Gallo, two nice Italian-Americans. And and I got a tweet, and I, we'll get to your calls in a sec, 877-337-6666. I got a tweet at Coach McCartan by, uh, or from, at Wolverine New York Yanks. He said, I think people are forgetting that Seve will be back soon. The Yankees are getting a huge boost like no other team down the stretch. I think that's why they didn't go after a, a top arm. Um, so, it, Kev, it says, Kev, Kev, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to hit reply right now. Sure, but what will he be like upon his return? Because I'm looking at his game log right now. Severino hasn't pitched in a major league game since September 28th of 2019, regular season, that is. So um, he pitched in total in that regular season in three games. Three games. A, a total of four, nine, 10, 11, 12 innings. That's it in 2019. He pitched two games in the postseason that year for a total of eight innings, just about. And then you got to go back to 2018. So it's 2021. What will Severino be like when he gets back from Tommy John surgery? Of course, they're going to have to build him up. He comes back, what, September? They build him up for a month, October, and then what? And there's just a huge question mark for him and for Kluber as well. So those are the two big question marks that I have. If I'm the Yankees, I am not hinging or, or hooking my postseason livelihood on the arms of, of Severino and Kluber. Those will be bonuses, but I think the Yankees need to do a little bit more uh, to, to acquire, you know, uh, an arm at the deadline. And they didn't do it. And I think Kyle Gibson was the guy. He was my recommendation that I put forth. And Herman Marquez, but he didn't end up moving. But Kyle Gibson was the guy, and it should have been all in on him. Let's go back to your calls, 877-337-6666. And don't forget, at 440, the John Morosi from MLB Network, will be joining us. He will also help us dissect and break down pretty much every single angle of both the Yankees 
and the Mets trade deadline moves and, and, and kind of paint a picture of the future for both of those teams with their rosters now set through the through the end of the season, however long that may be for each of them. So um, John Morosi, nice Italian-American as well, joins us at 440 here on the fan. Stay put if you're a Yankee fan and stay put if you're a Mets fan. I got you both covered in that one single interview. Let's go to Marlboro, New Jersey. Andrew, you're up on the fan. Hey. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so you, you kind of stole my thunder on the pitching on the Yankees. I'm a diehard Yankee fan. First on Gallo, probably probably batting in the two-hole because he's a lefty, and the analytics show he walks a lot, even though he strikes out a lot. He, he has a decent on-base percentage. That's my guess. Or until DJ comes back, and then I'll put Judge in there. But That's Gallo what I like in the two-hole is not, not bad. Yeah, yeah. No, but you know what, though? I, I don't like it. It's not bad, but I don't like it because I'll tell you why. I, and I said it before, and, and I think in the open, the Yankees ground into the most double plays in, in, in the MLB this entire season, right? Joey Gallo has grounded into nine in his entire career. I, I watched Gary Sanchez ground into one or even two uh, Saturday night. I don't agree with – because Gallo doesn't have the propensity to ground into double plays, he shouldn't be put in a position where he literally – like he can't. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. So, so let's I just was, see what happens yeah, when the menu comes back. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, and Urshela is not a bad number two also. Um, I, I kind of like it, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he also gets on base a lot. And, yep. and uh, he can move, run, he move runners. So I, I was really, really happy with Rizzo and, and Gallo. But I, like you, were very disappointed that they couldn't do anything on pitching. And I don't know if it's because they just didn't – they ran out of money because of this, this cap they, they are, you know, adhering to. Mm. Or – uh, they just couldn't get anyone, or they just didn't have any more prospects to trade. But very disappointed that they didn't get a, a better arm, either bullpen or the starting rotation, because I think I think uh, at least the starting rotation is still suspect. And uh, you know, why did they give up Lewis Sessa? By the way, I, I still think they had some cap room at the end of the day. But you know, just good, good, good moves, but not great. That's yeah. my view. Yeah, yeah. I, and and Andrew, you're right on there. I, I agree with you. I think uh, an addition of Kyle Gibson in the starting rotation would have been excellent, or, or a Daniel Hudson. I mean, Craig Kimbrell was the guy, right? Craig Kimbrell was the relief pitcher to, to get, and the White Sox got him. Okay, so cross Craig Kimbrell off. You still had your pick of, of Daniel Hudson, Richard Rodriguez, or Ian Kennedy. Any of them would have been good. The Yankees instead went for Jovi Rodriguez. Let me tell you something. Uh, a 5.93 ERA, a 2.88 batting average against. It's that's not. Let's just say that's not who I would have picked. So um, they tried. Let's see if their strategy pays off because th- what they did was they they picked Rodriguez to, to to pitch to righties. Let me see. Boone said a lot of our left-handed pitchers are guys again. Ah, this guy has been really good left on left. Okay, so Jolie Rodriguez they got to pitch to lefties. Boone says he's been a tough matchup for lefties, whereas Clay Holmes, six foot five right-handed Clay Holmes, is better pitching for righties apparently. So they're trying to kind of piecemeal them together. Mm, let's see. Let's see if that gamble pays off. We'll see. Let's go to uh, Lenny in Fort Lauderdale. Lenny, you're up next on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Another great show. Thank you. I commend you on all your research. That's <laughs> awesome. Do a lot of homework. Uh, I like the Mets pick up uh, 
Although with that new bat you got, I think uh, you would have been a good pickup as well. <laughs> hey, for anybody that didn't know or that didn't see my post, you know, I, on Monday I hit in a game in my league, and I'll, I'll talk about my league in a second, but I, I hit in my league with a composite bat for the first time. And, man, what have I been missing? So that a Wednesday I went out and I was like, i got to buy myself one of these composite bats. It cost me $200, but it was well worth it. I love it. I mean, the ball just jumps off the bat. I, I'm oh so pleased with it. it. Sign me up for the Yankees and the Mets. I, I'm there. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> and um, I hope Vern is all right. We haven't heard from him. I know. I had the answer to his question that, uh, for I three know, weeks. I know. I just hope he's okay. I know. Maybe I should email him. I'll email him when I get home later. And um, let me just touch on the, the NBA and uh, the draft. Man, I used to look forward to the NBA draft. And uh, I don't know what happened, but I watched a little bit of this, and you don't know, you don't know anybody. Mm. It's just uh, sad. I still don't know who the Knicks got. <laughs> I mean, they they yeah. traded their picks; they went backwards. Yeah. And so I don't know if you know who they got, but if you can let me know. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a list of guys. <laughs> Honestly, oh my God. it's a long, it's it's a long list. And then my um my Met guy, uh, he's not really a great player, but he was one of my favorites growing up. John Milner, John Ham Milner. Mm. I'd like to see him on that uh, in, in the uh, Met, Met, Met Hall of Fame. Okay, so here, here's the list of, of of Knicks that they picked. Okay. Okay, go. Quentin Grimes. Never heard of him. Mm, Rokas Jokobatadis. And there you go. <laughs> Miles McBride. There's another. I think I heard they talk about him. Yeah. That uh, really liked him. I think he's a guard. Is he a guard? Which guy? Rokas? Uh, McBride. Um, uh, McBride. Uh, see, I don't even really know. <laughs> Honestly, I know, uh, that's, a, that's just it. You used to know the whole draft all yeah. the way up and down. It's just, it's just terrible. You know what, Lenny? I tried watching it too, and I was telling Kevin this before. Actually, I I stayed up until almost twelve, waiting for our New York teams to pick. Right, and it was like so and so trades back, so and so moves around. So <sighs> Knicks pick Kai Jones, and then. And then the poor kid, Kai Jones, you know, oh, you picked by the Knicks, and yeah. they're oh, going to trade you to the Hornets. Like, I don't like that, you know? No, I really, a big disappointment on that. And the kid's and sitting there in limbo. He can't even be excited yet. He knows he made it to the NBA, but he doesn't know where just yet. I just, I don't like it. You know, right, right. it's hard to watch. You know, one, one question, though. We know you love your sports. What does Daniel watch on TV? Oh. Oh, okay, Lenny. Here, I'll hang up so you can hear the answer. All right, thanks. All right, so I don't have a lot of free time, as you guys can imagine, especially when school starts. But I watch, like, a couple shows. American Horror Story, I Cannot Miss, which I just started the new series. on. I'm borrowing my friend's Hulu account. So American Horror Story, Jersey Shore, (laughs) Um, The Real Real Housewives of New Jersey, Um, the challenge, which is coming back on the 11th, I can't wait. I always want to be on that show. That's kind of oh, Siesta Key, mm, and the Hills. <laughs> I know that sounds like a lot of shows, but they're all not on at the same time. You know, they all kind of like rotate in and out. Um, but those are the shows that I kind of. It's just, as you can see, I go for the mindless TV sort of angle, except for American Horror Story. I love that. I love American. Like I, oh man, that is like one show that I wish will never go off the air. And you guys who know about it, if you know, you know. I mean, who who sits there and thinks of all that stuff? Like, that's crazy, crazy. You have to be some sort of psycho. 
some sort of psychopath, sociopath, whatever it's called, to come up with an episode on that show. Seriously, it's so well done. If you don't know anything about it, um, I wouldn't watch it with your kids in the same room, but or you, I wouldn't watch it with your parents in the same room, but um, highly recommend it. I would go season two. They don't really have to do really anything with each other. They're independent seasons. I would start with season two. That's my favorite one. Uh, the the Insane Asylum one. I forget what it's called. Asylum, I think it's called. American Horror Story Asylum. That's my favorite one. Let's go, John, in Long Beach Island. John, you're up next on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How are you? Good. How are you? American Horror Story, huh? Oh, I love back some memories. I used to, can't get enough <laughs> I used of to it. watch that. Yeah? With a group of family members and stuff. Interesting stuff. What was your favorite? <laughs> how many know. seasons did you watch? What was your favorite? Uh, I don't, you know, I don't even remember the favorite seasons. I just watched a couple of them, and um, between my sports, that, that was my that was my shtick. But yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of great weather, boy, we had great weather down here on Old Long Beach Island today. Yeah, perfect. You're out there, getting, you're out there trying to get a tan. What are you trying to do out there? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to run two miles, trying to. <laughs> Good for you. And I saw the new bat you had. You posted that. That's yeah. a pretty cool looking bat. Yeah. How much did that set you back? Two hundred. <laughs> it looks good though. Looks good. He, he, and, uh, he, he tried to it. sell me. He pulled out another one for like 189, and it was pink and black. I said, I can't do a pink yeah. bat. I'm sorry. No, you can't. I can't. <laughs> I just can't. Pink is never my color ever. No, that's good. Hey, listen, I I just called um uh, and uh, well to wish you luck with the softball. And secondly, mm-hmm. um um the, the Yankees. Uh, when the last time I talked to you, I said they were unwatchable, mm-hmm. and now it's like it's kind of like must see. I know who's playing where. I know who's playing where and who's doing what. I know. Um, the Crazy. Rizzo, what a big big addition. I mean, he's a, he's a he's a big man. So hopefully we get some big home runs out of him, which we have already. Yeah. And uh, Joey Gallo, I mean, he's he's a great great fielder. So and and so is Rizzo. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to watching them play. And uh, your thoughts on it too? I just got up, so I'm just yeah. listening to you now. But you, had you made comments on uh, how they add to the team? Yes, yes, yes. And I'll hang up now so you can hear it. And actually, we're about to hit the break, and I'll do more of it after the break. But I'll give you the sure. Uh, good, good talking. Okay, good talking to you. Of course, John. I appreciate the call. Bye, bye, bye now. Yep, yep. Bye. So I um, once you get past the fact that Joey Gallo strikes out at a 33 percent clip which is um, a lot. It's it's a lot. There are many redeeming qualities about him, which I'll get to in a second. But I, I'm telling you, Anthony Rizzo is the diamond acquisition in this trade deadline. He's the five-star guy. He was the surprise. I think he told Meredith Morakovitz that he was pretty much surprised, too, that it was the Yankees that he was going to. I'm telling you, I think that the what he's shown already, I mean, he has fit in so seamlessly into this team, into this lineup. I'm telling you, I think Anthony Rizzo is going to retire a New York Yankee. I think they're going to offer him a brand-new contract at the the end of the season. Um, Salary cap be damned. You know, quotes, air quotes there, salary cap. Luxury tax, I should say. Be damned. I I think I really, I really, really like Anthony Rizzo. Love Anthony Rizzo, actually. Gallo... Um, it's, I think, going to be, throughout the rest of the season, a love-hate relationship with Joey Gallo. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, he's, he's going to strike out in a big spot. And you have to know that now. But once you get past that, there are many redeeming qualities about Joey Gallo. He sees, uh, I think it's 4.2 P 
pitches per at bat. Things that don't go in a box score, right? He sees 4.2 pitches per at bat, which is ninth best in the AL. He, um, he here. Let me go back to my notes. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of things to like about him. He, he's a plus, plus, plus defender. He's just coming off a season in 2020 where he had won a Gold Glove in right field. He's arbitration eligible, so he fits right in there. Their little salary scheme. I mean, I think what people don't really give him credit for is is his defense. Again, that gold glove. And not only does he have a gold glove, he's got the sixth best arm, outfield arm, of the 209 qualifier, you know, qualified outfielders. Sixth best. The graphic on the S Network returned with the run on him, don't run on him, run on him at your own risk. Remember that? Brett Gardner was getting green lights, run on him all day long. They, they retired that graphic. They brought it back on Friday night. All the outfielders, Stanton, Judge, and, and Gallo all had red. Don't run on them. That will freeze a runner at third base. That will prevent runs from scoring. He's got, since the start of last season, Joey Gallo has the most defensive runs saved among all outfielders. Does not ground into double plays. Rare, nine in his career. So those are all things that don't really fit into a box score that once you can get past his strikeout rate, which is very high, once you get past, once you understand that this is going to be a love-hate relationship with Joe Gallo, um, I, think it's a, I, I, I think it's a good move. And I know I cautioned against it last week. I cautioned against it last week because I thought that that was going to be the only left-handed bat that the Yankees got. The fact that they got Anthony Rizzo as well, it was a good move. It was good. They were both great. Now, the pitching, that's another story. But, um, yeah, not only does it make it easier for for the lefties, obviously, it, it opens up things for the righties big time. I mean, pitchers now have to work left, right, Things that they can't get into a groove versus a heavy, heavy right-handed batters right in a row, right in a row, right in a row. All good things. All good things if you're a Yankee fan. And because you guys always ask, you guys want to know, and because I like talking about it too, I've got an update on my Phillies. No, not the ones in Philadelphia. The ones in Upper Saddle River. Coming right up. Okay, so back to this. Um, listen, uh, guys, it was a... Uh, very rough week for my Upper Saddle River Phillies. I'm sad to report back that we lost both games this week uh, pretty handedly. It wasn't pretty, I must say. Cool thing, though. I don't know if you saw the tweet or the Facebook thing, but Rev Run from Run DMC was in the stands for the Monday night game, which is really, really cool. On my way in, because I had to walk right past him. I was the only way into the field, into the dugout. So I talked with him really briefly, pet his dog, and was on my way. Um, but that was cool. Rev, seeing Rev run at your game was cool. Very cool. But besides the losses, uh, personally for the week, I only keep, I only keep this. I, I tweet it because you guys always ask about it, and then I just kind of tally them up. For the week, I, I hit four for seven with my with the composite bats. I was four for seven, which is a 571 batting average, two stand-up triples, four RBIs, and the Wednesday team that we played against was trying to recruit me. 
I will not do it. I, they were they were good. They crushed us, but I, I won't do it. I will stay loyal to my Upper Saddle River Phillies. And I told you that composite bat. Oh man, what have I been missing? I cannot wait to show the guys here at this station what I can do at the plate. I actually did buy myself a catcher's mask too while I was there because. Boomer, that one morning, remember he was here? I don't know if you guys, you probably heard it. Boomer was here and he asked if I could catch, like as in catcher. Well, I'm ready for that too with my brand new, <laughs> never before used. I was, I wanted to try it out on Wednesday. Just, I've never put on a catcher's mask. I never caught a ball with a catcher's mask on before. I always wanted to be a catcher. Uh, and I wanted to play, try it on Wednesday just to try it. But I got there kind of late. So uh, next week, I will try my catcher's mask next week. Because I don't have anybody to throw with me. I live by myself. I, <laughs> me and my dog. And she can't throw the ball to me. I throw it to her. And then she lets me go get it. That's how that works. <laughs> 877-337-6666. We've got uh, MLB Network's John Morosi coming up very, very shortly. I hope that you guys enjoy that. Let's go to Ron Konkuma. Eric, you're up on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Good morning. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, I missed you the last couple of weeks. I know. So, everything uh, all right? Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, work, uh, work issues, you know. But, uh, so the, the, the paper delivery is always fun. So, yeah, but we we, we had a nice Derek Jeter uh, whole thing last week. So that, that kind of, you know, uh, took uh, took over the weekend, you mm-hmm. know. So, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you know what? I'm almost kind of scared to ask how much that composite bat cost you. Yeah, I would imagine it was, it was, uh, yeah. it it was, was a pretty penny, right? Two hundred, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's actually not bad. That's uh, I know because they do uh, go for about five hundred. Some of them go for five hundred. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah that, that, that's what that's what I was thinking when uh, when you mentioned that. I'm like, oh boy, but uh, no, all right, that's not too bad. I know it's an so, investment. Uh, it's still it's a lot, but it's an investment, and I can't yeah. wait to use it on the WFAN team. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I'm hoping. I mean, uh, are, they, are they even playing this summer? I haven't even heard anything. Uh, you know, I mean, hopefully uh, they come around my neck of the woods. I know they were, you know, here a couple of years ago. I got a chance to meet the guys, so that would be uh, pretty cool. cool if, uh, you know, if uh, if they come around, and, you know, we, we could, you know, be like, oh, hey, I know you. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, look, I was, I was all set to call up and complain tonight about the uh, – about uh, last night's game, you know, with the Mets and everything, but you know, fortunately, they came back to win. But I know, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you, though. I mean, I was telling Sal, you know, yesterday. I said I, I just am not overly thrilled with the uh, with the with the total of uh, uh, moves that they made, you know, for the trade deadline. It just it just feels like they uh, were left behind everybody else. Uh, you know, with the uh, uh, with the acquisition, I mean, I, I understand Baez is a is a very good player, uh, all star, all that. You know, I mean, he does strike out a ton, mm-hmm. and I actually called the strikeout in the what was it eighth and ninth inning mm-hmm. uh, that he was up, you know, because he he was he had a three zero count. Yep. And then and then uh, you know once he had a couple of foul balls, I'm like he's striking out, and sure enough, yep. you know, boom. I mean, but you know, thankfully they came back to win the game, but I mean. The, they they need to go on some kind of even like a little mini run of like a five out of six or you know six out of seven you know they because they, they they haven't had any kind of run like that at all you know they they would win the, you know two or three, you know three you know maybe even four games but then they lose the next couple 
you know, they, they need some kind of little stretch. You know, because every time you look at the schedule and say, oh, they should get fat off of whatever team is coming up, mm-hmm. uh, the opposite happens, or, the, or they, uh, they split evenly. So I'm, uh, I'm looking at the schedule from the first half right now, and I see a lot of green. So they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Their longest winning streak was seven, and that came at the hands of two to St. Louis, they swept Arizona, and they swept the two-game series versus Baltimore. That seven games was their longest of the entire season. And that, But that was when, back at the end of uh, April? That was, uh, let me see, that was um, my May, May 5th through the 12th. Okay, beginning of May. All right, then yeah. not that far off from uh, what I was saying. Yep. I mean, they, they need one of those now. Yeah. I mean, honestly, because, the you know, if they could put one of those together now, I mean, you know, maybe they gain a couple of, you know, two, three games hopefully on uh, Atlanta because right now Atlanta is, you know, I'm telling you, they, yeah. they, I think, I think they're chomping at the bit, quite honestly. So, so. yeah, and, and Eric, great, thanks for the call there. Good point. I'm looking at the upcoming schedule for the Mets, and thanks for the call. Always, every week, um, they could. They've got one, two, three, four games versus Miami coming up. They've got three versus Philadelphia right after that. And then, since the Washington Nationals have thrown in the towel, they've got three there. So the Mets have six. They have out of the next ten games in Cincinnati, of course. So out of the next, let's let's go past Cincinnati. The ten games in the series after this, this Sunday game versus Cincinnati. There's ten games. The Mets easily could take seven of them. Should take seven of them. That's the run you're looking for, Eric. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll talk next week about halfway through that run, and we'll see. All right, you guys. Mets fans, Yankees fans, get ready. John Morosi is coming up next on The Fan. Joining us on WFN right now is John Morosi of the MLB Network to do a comprehensive evaluation of both the Yankees and the Mets at the 2021 trade deadline. John, benvenuti. Hey, grazie mille, Danielle. Uh, always a pleasure to speak with you, whether it's English or Italian, and uh, great to speak about both the Yankees and Mets of the trade deadline here today. We are the Yankees Radio Network. We will start with them. Signor Morosi, maybe Professore Morosi, as we sit here the weekend after the deadline, what grade would you assign for the Yankees front office and why? Danielle, I would say an A because they because they really have assessed their issues correctly, which was a lack of left-handed power. Uh, We had well documented uh, the fact that before this trade, Joey Gallo had hit more home runs than all Yankee left-hand hitters combined this season, which is stunning when you consider the the great left-handed heritage of the Yankees, whether it was Ruth or Gehrig or Reggie Jackson all all throughout the the decades and generations. So, for me, even with the Gallo move, that was sufficient. But then to see them get Rizzo as well, I think, was a really important decision and really balances out the lineup nicely. It adds in two really good defensive players as well. And so you now have balance. You have depth. It allows you, I think, by having Rizzo to to manipulate and really have a, a better infield for, for your club going forward and really – put the best group out there possible. You can bump uh, DJ LeMahieu around a little bit uh, as, as needed. It's just It gives you a lot of flexibility, and I think it gives Aaron Boone a lot of options. So this is a team that I know has had 
it's it's fair share of criticism, Danielle, during the course of the year. But these are two players that really add a lot of of sock to the lineup and just a lot of consistency and professionalism for a team that, that has certainly had a lot of comings and goings as, as the season has gone along. So I guess multiple choice here then. Is this team built to win a A wild card, B division, C league, or D world series? Uh, you know, great question, Danielle. I, I, I don't look at this team candidly as, as the likely AL champion. Uh, and I similarly think that in the AL East that uh, Boston or Tampa uh, will will be able to win the division, even though I, I was a little underwhelmed by what the Red Sox were doing at the deadline. Um, and certainly Tampa, with the news of Glass now uh, potentially being out for the year, is, is a really significant blow for them. So I, I, w- I would still say the Yankees find a way to be a wild card team. Uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that we'll see one wild card team coming out of the East and one wild card team probably coming out of the West, uh, whether it's Oakland or you know, more likely Oakland than, than Seattle. So I, I would say that they've still got a shot at a wild card, but it's going to be an uphill climb. They have to play better down the stretch. They need, I think, uh, some improved performances from their rotation as well. But I think this is a team that, that looks to me like one that can get hot late and really ride what I expect to be a really good lineup uh, to a wild-card berth in the American League. And, you know, they didn't address the rotation. I thought they might have. Do you know why they didn't? That was a great question, Daniel. I think they tried. Uh, I also think that they've already committed a lot of rotation spots to the veteran pitchers, and, and it can be hard with respect to the luxury tax threshold to layer in additional expensive starters uh, at a time when when you really have really invested a lot of money in, in pitchers, especially like Garrett Cole, to a lesser extent Tyon and, and Kluber, and, and Herman is someone that they are probably going to re- rely on here the balance of the year. Montgomery's been pretty good. So I, I, I certainly understand that they're, they're – there have been enough inconsistencies with the rotation where you could have said, yes, they should address it, but they've also filled up the roster already to this point. And, and if you're going to trust big starts to Herman down the stretch or uh, Kluber based on health, uh, you know, again, Montgomery's been pretty good. Uh, I'm just not sure that they had as clear of a path to improving their rotation as they had with the lineup where I think they're, their needs and the roster spots were pretty clear to fill there. And we're talking with John Morosi from MLB Network. You know, it was really public knowledge that the Yankees were shopping Luke Voigt. So why is he still a Yankee? You know, another great question because I think they, they tried to move him at the deadline, and I, I, I just don't think that there was enough interest in him based on how he has played this year. There's two pretty significant weaknesses with him right now. One is the inconsistency of the health, and one is the inconsistency of the performance. And when you combine those two things, the Yankees probably wanting to to price him a little bit off of what he was last year, which was an AL MVP candidate, and, and I think you see why it was such a challenge. Uh, there, there just was not the amount of, of consensus around what his proper price point would have been. And as it is now, he's going to certainly uh, have a diminishment in his playing time, he's going to have to earn his way back into the Yankees lineup. 
it's a it's a challenging feature probably for them to project as well. And, and that's where he's going to have to find some ways, Danielle, to get at-bats to prove that he can still be the player that they thought he was last year. Because if he's not, then you look at Gallo, of course, is someone who, who they can control uh, beyond this year. And, and Rizzo, you would hope, is someone that's going to be part of their future plans and, and maybe someone that they would sign long-term. We heard Anthony talk about all the family he's got in New York and New Jersey and, and, and the Yankee fans and his family and the comfort level and playing in New York. I mean, there's, there's a lot for Anthony where if, if he gets off to a really good uh, start here and, and some momentum going forward, I could see Anthony liking the idea of being a Yankee beyond this year. And not to mention, he's got his own uh, ice cream flavor at a, at a pasticceria in, in Lindhurst. So you're right about that. Um, and to me, Daniel, it all goes back to, to the pasticcherias in Lindhurst as well. So any anytime you can mention that and the Italian American culture, uh, Daniel, I'm always happy. <laughs> you know, the other thing, this is not rocket science, but Luke Voigt's role on this team is predicated on the ability of Giancarlo Stanton to play in the outfield. But why is that such a ridiculous ask of a young enough guy that averaged just 118 games per season in the outfield before he got to New York? Right. No, that's a fair point. And I think with Stanton, there have been so many injuries and so many issues in that regard from a health maintenance standpoint for him to play the outfield. It's going to be tricky for me to see going forward how many games Giancarlo is going to be able to play in the outfield and what's a fair expectation. There's obviously, Danielle, a lot of um, study going in on the sports science end of things about how you optimize health and performance. And the Yankees do have a fair amount of data on Stanton at this point in time and, and how durable he could be or should be based on how many games he's able to play in the outfield. And if that number remains uh, low, you're right. It's really going to compromise the amount of games that Boyd can play. But we, we all realize, too, Danielle, that w- when you're signed to a contract that Stanton is signed to, that's where the attention and focus is going to go. And and Yankee fans might not all like it, and certainly Luke Voigt might not like it either, but you're right. His his playing time is tied directly to what is going to happen to one of the highest-paid players in the sport and how often Giancarlo can play the outfield. Uh, I think that, to me, is a huge question for the Yankees going forward, one where I hope they get some level of clarity uh, over the balance of the year. But obviously there is still some term left on Stanton's contract, and, and I, I do think that there will be a, at least some measure of clarity on what Boyd's future is based on how often Giancarlo can play in the outfield over the last two months of this regular season. I can imagine Luke Boyd hitting fly balls to Giancarlo Stanton, like, get out there, buddy, get out there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a fair point, Danielle, it's a fair point, and I think everyone around the Yankees knows it. It's part of their decision-making process. And I also think it's one of the reasons why – I've, I've been a believer that Aaron Boone has been unfairly criticized this year a little bit. He has not had a lineup that has afforded him a lot of flexibility, whether it's because of players on the IL, players like Stanton, whose defensive versatility is somewhat compromised. There's just not a lot of different routes that Aaron has been able to go in, and I, I think that a lot of the criticism about his decisions has been a little bit unwarranted because uh, maybe that criticism doesn't fully take into consideration how limited his options truly are. You guys are listening to all-star contributor to the MLB Network, John Morosi, here on the fan. You know, I think probably 
league-wide now, I think Trey Turner might have been the biggest surprise of, of being moved. And I know, I know that the Yankees were in on him until at least the day before the deadline. Why ultimately were the Yankees out on him? Well, I think, Danielle, the, the, the Dodgers' ability to package together what is regarded as the number one and two prospects, according to MLBPipeline.com, um, in Josiah Gray and Kieber Ruiz, in, in the same deal, I think that was it. And uh, that's great value. Uh, the, the Dodgers have done a very good job developing prospects the last couple of years, and both those that are with them at the major league level, like a Walker Bueller or Will Smith behind the plate, uh, Julio Rias, they've done a really good job, Tony Gonsolin's one more name, of, of knowing who to keep and who they could potentially move. And the way that Will Smith has played at the major league level, Danielle, is, is, is part of the story here. That's what's allowed them to trade Kieber Ruiz. They did not want to give up Ruiz. They believe he's going to be a frontline catcher in the major leagues for a long time. But they also have a frontline catcher in the major leagues right now in, in Will Smith. And so um, I think that's the piece of it that made sense to give him up. And the Dodgers were comfortable giving up both players, Gray and Ruiz, plus two more prospects in the same deal. And I think from that standpoint, the Nationals wanted to go with immediate right now value that they trusted. And to get to get that value, that was where, why the, the Nationals had the package, both Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in the same deal. Trust me, Danielle, if, if, if the Yankees would have been able to give up two prospects that the Nationals liked as much as they liked Ruiz and Gray, I think that Turner and Scherzer would both be Yankees. But the issue is, would Max have agreed to the deal? We don't know that. And and clearly the Nationals did not like what the Yankees were offering in the same way in a tandem than what the Dodgers had. And I think that's why Trey Turner right now is a Dodger and why Max Scherzer is a Dodger today. We're talking about D. John Morosi on the fan. Let's switch gears to the Queens here. Let's go back to Professor Morosi. Which grade would you assign for the Mets, <laughs> Mets front office and why? I, I think also very high. I would say probably an in, in, in A minus as well for them because they they did a very good job of bringing Javier Baez. He's going to be able to play shortstop for them in, in the short term. Trevor Williams gives them depth and some insurance given where the Jacob deGrom situation is and then the uncertainty surrounding Jacob's immediate future. And, of course, we have to realize they also had brought in, uh, previous to the deadline, Rich Hill. And, and he is someone that is a – uh, he has a tremendous resume in this game for a long time. Uh, it has filled multiple different roles. I think will be a very valuable pitcher for the Mets down the stretch. So I, I, I like what both teams did, Daniel. I, I really mean that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm grading on a, a generous curve. Maybe Professor Morosi needs to, to be a little bit of a harsher grader. But I think overall, uh, I, I like what I saw from both teams. Uh, and, and Javi, uh, he, he's such an interesting player, Daniel, in the sport because. Baez, when he is locked in and and when his emotions are channeled in a positive way, he can deliver some of the best performances of any player in the sport. And I think that the Mets, because of the environment there, he'll be playing with a couple of his teammates from the World Baseball Classic and Francisco Lindor and also Edwin Diaz. I think we're going to see the best version of him, and I'm really excited to see how things play out from there. And I know you're such a huge fan of the World Baseball Classic. As yes. As am I. I love it. Um, I guess the same multiple choice question then. Is this Mets team built to win a wild card, division, league, or World Series? I, I don't see them winning the World Series. 
nor do I see them winning the National League. I think the NL champ is going to be either the Brewers or a team from the West. Uh, but but I certainly think winning the division is is very possible for them. But they're going to have to withstand, Danielle, I believe, a late charge from one of the other teams in that division because I look at the Braves as being capable of, of a surge, and I certainly think the Phillies can too. The Phillies did a very good job at the deadline bringing in Gibson, uh, bringing, bringing in Kennedy to help the bullpen. Uh, they brought back Galvis. I, there's a lot to like about the Phillies roster right now, and, and if they're able to get enough consistency from that pen, we know Joe Girardi really knows how to run a bullpen. I, I just think he hasn't quite had the the equipment with the Phillies to be able to do a good job with that particular part of the club. So I, I think the Mets find a way to hold off the Phillies and, and the Braves. It's going to be a close race, and, and I am a little bit nervous about DeGrom and his health and, and what that means near-term and long-term. He just he hasn't been able to be out there consistently enough. And for a pitcher that we all love to watch uh, on the mound, what he means in the game is he's so electrifying as a performer. Uh, but the health questions right now, Danielle, are, are real for him. And, and you have to wonder if you're the Mets. You, you almost have to plan on not having it. So that way you have enough uh, pitching depth to go. And, and you're going to have to lean on Walker and Stroman and Carrasco. Um, and Hill now and Williams, that's going to be the. It's going to have to be the group that you plan on winning with. And if Degrom comes back and contributes down the stretch, it's going to be a bonus. Well, to me, to, you know, I, I'm going to dissent a little bit. I'm not going to go with your A minus, but uh, Trevor Williams, he's a questionable ad for me because I look. I mean, he outputs a quality start only 25 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So, what's your read on why the Mets liked him so much? Well, I, I think to me, then Danielle, it has to do with with the rest of their rotation, how they uh, how they evaluate Carrasco, how they evaluate Hill, how they evaluate uh, Stroman and 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 Walker. I mean, to me, if if Williams is your fifth starter, fifth or sixth starter, you're okay. And that's what he's going to be for the Mets. Uh, if you're counting on him to start a playoff game, you're probably going to be disappointed. I don't have him as part of their playoff rotation if they get there. Their playoff rotation, obviously, if, if Jacob is healthy, is likely to be DeGrom, Stroman, Carrasco, and Walker. And, and then you've got Hill as a swing guy, or he steps into the rotation if Jacob can't go. And that's a pretty respectable Rotation. It's not as good as Milwaukee's, by the way, and that's the team they're probably going to have to deal with in the first round. And that's where, that's why I'm saying they're not a they're not a pennant winning team for me. They can win the division. the The other rotations in that division don't necessarily scare me either. Uh, in terms of being one that I would say, oh my gosh, I'm not sure I can win a playoff series against that group. But Danielle, for me, the Mets are not going to be able to win a playoff series against the Brewers. The Brewers are going to have a better team, and and they've got an excellent group, I think, right now when you consider what they put together with Peralta, Woodruff, and Burns. I mean, that, that might be the best one, two, three in the National League, period, even ahead of the Dodgers. I mean, they're that good. So uh, I, I've got a lot of questions about the Mets rotation long term. Yes, I agree, but I, I think that they did a pretty decent job of, of upgrading in the near term and giving themselves some insurance against the possibility that DeGrom can't come back. So this Javi Baez move, yes, he's a really good player. Yes, he's an upgrade over Jeff McNeil at second base. I ran some numbers, eight different offensive categories. He beats him in almost all of them. But where do the Mets see this Javi Baez fitting in once Lindor returns? Is he the everyday second baseman? I think so. I think that the the notion of having him play alongside Lindor 
will bring out the best in Baez and the best in Lindor. And they both want this. They both want to play on the same side of the infield together. And when that's the case, uh, you, you sort of let that happen. You, you go with it and say, okay, guys, you want to play side by side. Let's make this happen and see, and see what kind of jolt it gives us. I mean, to me, it's interesting, Danielle, because that's probably going to happen right along, right around the 1st of September or sometime in August, whenever Frankie gets back. And, and that's the time of the, of the calendar when you need a boost. Uh, August, as we know, is a tough month. It's, it's the month where I think a lot of the players in the sports this month coming up are going to start to feel that, that taxing nature of the full season and the long year. And, and especially coming off of the shorter season last year. And when you have energy like that, that can really carry things for me, Danielle. I, I would let Frankie and Baez be the double play combination as long as they will carry you and, and give them that chance to, to, to have that be their ownership and their identity now going forward. We're talking with John Morosi. My final question here um, is, see, I would have went in a different direction if I were the Mets. I mean, Chris Bryant was a must-get for me if I'm the Mets. The Giants, I looked, ultimately gave up their number seven and their number 17 prospect in order to get him. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't or why didn't the Mets make that deal instead? Yeah, it's a great point, Danielle. I, I think that they probably could have. I also think that, that when you look at the, the deal as it happened down the stretch, the Cubs liked that they had been really working on the Giants farm system a lot the last couple of weeks. They liked the package they got back. And also, relationships played a huge role in, in the final hours. That was the last hour trade. And Scott Harris is the GM of the Giants. He was a longtime assistant GM with the Cubs. And having that familiarity and that connection, I think, really helped that deal move across the finish line at the very end of the day. Now, as you know, Zach Scott knows Jed Hoyer in Chicago from going way back, and there's a connection there, too. Um, and so I'm sure that was part of the conversation. But but the recency of Scott Harris's time in the Cubs front office, I think, really helped the Giants feel confidently about why Bryant was important and vice versa, gave a lot of comfort and trust on either side to make that deal work at the very end. So a uh, tremendous deal. Uh, I think it was a really unique uh, fit on a lot of levels. And uh my goodness, Danielle, it was it was the best trade deadline I have ever covered, yeah. the best one I can ever remember following as a fan, and I, I just can't wait to watch what feels like a, a reopening day this weekend with all these new players in new places. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch them play out the balance of the season, and I just got, I mean, for me, I always love baseball, but I, I got a jolt of excitement about what this last couple months of the year is going to look like, and I just can't wait to watch these new storylines unfold. Yeah, great way to put that, and and I'm excited as well. And and will I lied? This is my last question. Will I see you at the Italian American Baseball Foundation dinner December? Let's hope so. Uh, certainly, uh, I, I have to uh, make sure that that uh, aligns with my uh, with our family's calendar and all the different various uh, travel uh, plans that we've got for that time of year, Danielle. But I'm gonna hope. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a prayer that I'll be able to get there and uh, certainly support all the great work that you do there. Uh, and, and they are lucky to have you. The IABF is such a huge part of the family there. So, Danielle, I hope, espero, espero que chividiamo presto. And anytime I can be of help, my friend, please let me know, okay? Eh, portiamo Gallo e Riso con noi. <laughs> certamente, certamente. <laughs> sí, eh, eh, grande piacere. Eh, 
sempre con il piacere di, di parlare con voi e, e ci vediamo presto ci vediamo presto e, e un, un caro saluto a, a voi e tutta la famiglia di IABF uh, anche John, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. Peter Mio, Daniel. Look forward to the next time as well. Thanks so much. Hope you guys got that. Seth Canther with an update. Danielle McCartney, Sports Radio 1019 FM, the band WFAN. Welcome back, everybody, to McCartney After Midnight on the fan in New York City. We have shifted into McCartney in the morning. It is 5.07 on this August 1st. Summer is flying by. I don't know about you, but for me, it feels that way. Um, <laughs> school is looming. Going back to school in about a month. Oh, man, just the mental preparation to do it is a lot. If you don't know, it, you know, if you're not a teacher, you don't know what it is. So, um, but it doesn't matter. We are here now. We are evaluating the Yankees and the Mets at their trade deadlines, everybody. I, I've me being the teacher. I issued grades to both the teams early, early, early this morning. So in case you missed it, we're going to go back through it. Also, too, you know, we have spent the entire night. Hope you guys, by the way, I hope you guys enjoyed the John Morosi interview. Um, and Kevin will have that up on 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 demand in case you're just waking up now or getting in the car now. You'll find it soon. You know, early, you know, a little bit later this morning on demand. Um, I, I do have to say though that it is also a Giants and Jets. You know, they've concluded their first almost full week of practices, almost seven days of practice or whatever. I think the Giants have had four. I think the Jets have had four or five. But anyway, either way, uh, some good stuff coming out of both camps. More encouraging stuff, I'd say, at this point coming out of Jets camp. I think the Giants' uh, offensive line is in flux. They've made a lot of changes to, to, to that line already, a lot of tweaks to that line. Um Matt Pert, he's back. He passed his physical. He had a back injury. Giants signed former Cowboy Joe Looney. Apparently that was a long time in the making. Shane Lemieux was asked, they were asked, uh, uh, Joe Judge was asked if Shane Lemieux is week to week. He replied day to day. Some sort of lower body injury. Austin Ryder is expected to meet with the Giants. So lots of stuff happening in Giants camp. Lots of exciting stuff happening in Jets camp because, well, let's be honest, Zach Wilson had a terrible day one. Terrible. I mean, according to Ralph Facciano, he got 14 reps in full team drills. He completed just five out of ten passes. One, five of those miss, Out of those five misses, one was an interception to Marcus May. Nearly was another interception. And then the other misses were just nowhere near. And that was day one. And uh, oh, um, when he got to seven on seven drills in day one, he was just one for seven. Day two, I don't know what he did. Went home, studied the playbook, ate his Wheaties. And day two, Zach Wilson came back on Saturday. Uh, bombs away to Elijah Moore. Bombs away. And uh, my warning to Jets fans uh, will be the same warning I had when the Jets drafted Sam Darnold so high. He's a rookie. There will be growing pains. Let him develop. Sala, Robert Sala, Coach Sala said much of the same. He said he's going to have so many ebbs and flows, it's going to drive us all crazy. But that's all part of the process of getting better. He was chomping at the bit to get back out there, and he'll be chomping at the bit to get out there tomorrow again. So, um, I don't know. 
apparently he, you know, I, I saw an interview with Steve Young, and I know Steve Young has obvious interest, you know, being the BYU connection and everything. But Steve Young was saying that that Zach Wilson is a film devourer. Those are my words, not his. But he's a film devourer. He's student of the game. All things you like to hear. So let's see. Let's see, Jets fans. Giants, I mean, right now, everything's a lot, a lot of everything is in flux coming out of Giants camp. So we're wait and see. Although Kenny Galladay, Joe Judge said about him that Kenny Galladay is so focused during meetings that he's like staring right through you. That's the quote. Good. That's what you want to hear. And then Kenny Galladay and Adoree Jackson have been going at it, skirmishes in practice. So good. I like that. A little chip on both of their shoulders. And so I inter- uh, I introduced the Yankees and the Mets trade deadline with the uh, Natasha Benningfield unwritten. The rest is still unwritten for these two teams in the rest of their seasons. The end goal for both is the World Series. We'll both get there. Not so sure. I think the Mets ultimately get into the playoffs. Um, I, I think they win the NL East for sure. I, that's what I think. And I think that the Yankees get in as a wild card team and then and then look out. We'll see. But before we get ahead of ourselves. So the Mets, it, it's easier to do the Mets first. The Mets grade, I gave a B because uh, I, I deducted points. <laughs> I'm explaining my rubric to you guys. I deducted points from the Mets because – the GM of the Mets, the acting GM, Zach Scott, he knew about the severity of the setback of Jacob deGrom. And in his words, hours. He said, we knew with a couple hours to go to the deadline what the plan was for Jacob deGrom. At that point, we didn't see any of the top of the rotation guys that really fit us. He continued to say Scherzer was already traded. Toronto already acquired Barrios. We felt like the impact just impact just wasn't there. Well, see, I, I beg to disagree because based on my studies, Mr. Zach Scott, Kyle Gibson was probably the best pitcher available, not named Max Scherzer. And the Phillies went and, and gobbled him up. John Means ended up staying where he, where he was in Baltimore. Herman Marquez ended up staying where he was in Colorado. I mean, there were options. Let's just put it that way. There were options. And the Mets just didn't reach and get it. I know they acquired Rich Hill before the deadline. I get it. I know. I know. But Rich Hill is not a high-end or a mid-grade starting pitcher. He's a back-end guy that probably was going to be converted to either an opener or a long reliever in the playoff push, in the postseason push. So, uh, I deducted points there. I also deducted points because although Javier Baez is a fine enough player, Chris Bryant was the guy, the missing piece for that Mets team. And across the nine offensive metrics that I ran on my own, Bryant is the better player than Baez by a lot. So a better player and a, a better fit Yet the Mets allowed Bryant to go play baseball elsewhere. Interesting. I deducted points for that. See, the acquisition of Baez, just, it's very confusing to me because I just don't know where he fits. Sure, he'll, he'll play shortstop for what, the next two weeks until Lindor comes back? That's fine. And then what happens? 
Does he slide to second base and bench McNeil? Can't do that. So then, okay, so you slide him to second base, you put McNeil at third, you bench J.D. Davis's bat. Well, mm, not the best outcome. Okay, so maybe you put McNeil in left field. You bench Dom Smith's bat. Oh, also not the best outcome. So you see what I'm saying in terms of fit? Whereas Bryant, it would have been much more straightforward. And I don't know. I just think that they said, uh, Sandy Alderson said something alluding to the fact that they needed someone that was going to be better against left-handed pitching. Well, lo and behold, Chris Bryant is better than Javier Baez at hitting against left-handed pitching. I mean, he's better than him. He's got a higher batting average than him against left-handed pitching. Bryant has a better batting average overall. He has Bryant has a much better slugging percentage. Bryant has a much better on-base percentage. Bryant has a much better on-base plus slugging percentage. I mean, there are so many things to like about Chris Bryant that, man, why didn't the Mets just make a deal for him? The Giants ultimately ended up giving just the number seven and the number seventeen overall pick. I mean, seventeen prospects. The Mets couldn't do that. The Mets in, instead selected Baez, which was the wrong move. Sorry. I then had two rubrics for the Yankees. My philosophy rubric versus the Yankees' philosophy rubric. And and let's not get this confused. They are two different grades. They're based on two different philosophies. I was liking the avenue that the Yankees were going, like the Tim LoCastro route. Like, Get a left-handed bat like Adam Frazier, let's just say. Let's just throw that name out there. Get a left-handed contact bat like Adam Frazier. It doesn't need to be this hulking, you know. For that reason, and the fact that they did not adequately address their starting pitching, I gave them a D. But, but, on, on the Yankee philosophy rubric, like, this is our plan and we're sticking to it sort of rubric. On that rubric, I actually graded the Yankees an A-, minus, only knocking them because they did not address adequately the starting pitching. Because when Severino comes back, and we could I don't want to say when, let's say when slash if Severino comes back late August to early September, let's just say, because that's what the latest report is. Well, what is he going to look like? Because he hasn't pitched since... Uh, 2018, October of 2018 in a game. So nothing in 19, nothing in 20, and now he's going to start in 2021. Hmm. Okay. What is he going to look like? He's obviously going to have to stretch out. How long is that going to take? You see what I'm saying? There's so many questions, right? And then how about Corey Kluber? Is Corey Kluber coming back? He keeps saying he's going to be coming back, yet there seems to be no timeline for his return, technically. Are we talking end of August, early September, too? That's what I saw. Okay. So he's going to need to stretch out again when he comes back. You see what I'm saying here? So I just wish that the Yankees went out and got a guy, someone else. Tyone's been great. Jameson Tyone has been better than Garrett Cole. Great, actually. So, with that said, on the Yankees' philosophy, they really went for it. They really went all in. And I said in the open, I love this. I don't know how I came up with this, but I said, the New York Yankees' front office is putting their cashmen where their mouth is. 
doubling down on the same strategy that has them seven games back in the AL East and two and a half games back in the wild card after Saturday night's games. So, on that rubric, on the Yankee philosophy rubric, it's an A-. minus Because you know what? They went out and got two of the most sought-after, probably difference-making left-handed bats that they could have possibly gotten. So for that, that that deserves to be commended. I mean, Yankee Stadium, Brian Cashman, if you're listening, I don't know, you know what you thought when you put the team prior to the deadline out there, but Yankee Stadium is the fifth best home run hitting park for lefty batters because the dimensions of the field just in and of themselves increase lefty home runs by 17%. Now, if you can look past Joey Gallo's 33% strikeout rate, you will find that he's an excellent defender with the sixth best arm, outfield arm, in all of baseball. He's bringing a gold glove with him to the outfield in the Bronx. He's got the most defensive runs saved among all outfielders. He sees 4.2 pitches per plate appearance. That's ninth best in the American League. And As you guys all know, the Yankees have grounded into double play the most in baseball. In his career, he's only grounded into nine in his career, which is why I totally disagree with hitting him second in the order, but that's another thing. But file all of that under things that don't exactly fit into a box score. You see what I'm saying? And then, oh my God, Anthony Rizzo. I I warned you guys that that Joey Gallo wasn't going to be the answer, quote-unquote the answer. It's true. He himself is not, which is why, in the first place, I was reluctant for the Yankees to to trade for Joey Gallo. But the fact that Brian Cashman pulled off a deal for Anthony Rizzo, surprising Rizzo himself that he was going to be coming to New York, Yankees, that is, I mean, that was the move. Anthony Rizzo... I'm telling you now, Anthony Rizzo, I said it a few times tonight, I'll say it again. Anthony Rizzo will retire as a New York Yankee. He's got a legitimate two-strike approach. He chokes up. You've seen it. He he strikes out only 15.5% of the time, which is tied for 419th in baseball. That's what you want to see. He's got almost double the number of batted balls in play than Gallo. He's taken off already. He feels very comfortable. It's evident. Did I mention his four gold gloves and his platinum glove? Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Is it an exciting time in the Bronx? Yes. Will Monday's game at the stadium be sold out? Probably. And maybe that jolt, maybe those two Italiani Americani from our area with connection I'm sorry, with connections to our area. Maybe that those guys are going to provide the shock to the mostly stagnant 2021 New York Yankees. Maybe they're going to kick it into high gear now. I do hope so. They certainly have their work cut out for them. And I have my work cut out for me over the next 40 or some odd minutes. You guys get aboard 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on the fan with you until 6 a.m. In the morning, we are rocking out. 
to some Bon Jovi here, everybody. Kevin, you're from Jersey, right? I am, yes. Yes, and so am I. This is a Jersey show here tonight. I'm just kidding, everybody. It sounds like a Jersey show. That was got a parkway named after him or a rest stop. On I the know. Parkway. Yeah, they they renamed uh, the Chesapeake or uh, Cheesequake. Whatever. I don't even know what that is. It's now the John Bon Jovi rest stop. I know that. Well, just gauging some interest here for Mets fans. We gauge the interest of Yankees fans. Um, there's certainly some exciting, uh, you know, excitement surrounding our, our baseball teams. Yankees and Mets both made some big splashes. I asked on Twitter, our Mets fans, are you happy with the construction of your team as currently constructed? 45% of Mets fans said yes. The gripes in the comments had to do with starting pitching. I would have voted no in my own poll. They picked the wrong Cub. And uh, they didn't adequately address the starting pitching need. So as Randy Jackson used to say on American Idol, it's a no from me, dog, too. Most like... You Mets fans on my Twitter page. So at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Oh, I just called it a Twitter page. I feel like an old person. <laughs> it's on my Twitter feed. Whatever. At Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N or Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan there. 877-337-6666 is the number to Lindenhurst, New York. We go. AJ, you're on the fan. Oh, I'm good to talk to you. AJ, are you there? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Can you uh, hear me? Yes, I got you, AJ. Go ahead. Hey, uh, before we get into the next point I wanted to call about, I, uh, everything you're saying about Chris Bryant, uh, you know, might hold true, but I, I, I think that if they went with Bryant, you would have had the same kind of issues defensively, uh, you know, who the odd man out would have been, you know what I mean? J.D. Davis might have still been the odd man out because you would have kept McNeil second base. Yeah, but, but, anyway. but, but now you're displacing McNeil, possibly J.D. Davis. You're displacing McNeil and then possibly Dom Smith. There's just too many different variables there. I think with... With Chris Bryant, it was it was going to be like, okay, you're playing third, JD. You know what I'm saying? I, I just I just feel like it was more straightforward. I, I hear you. I hear you. My my concerns with the Mets, though, um, I was at the game Friday night. The, the lack of professional at bat is alarming. Last night was a great win. I consider myself to be a pretty optimistic Mets fan, but there's so many at bats where, I mean, it's it's even more uh, magnified when you're at the game and you're up close to the plate seeing these at bats. Some of these at bats. I mean, right, give, give me an example. Give me give me an example. One of them. All right, I'll give you one example. I mean, the, it, it seems as if some of these guys go up to the plate and they, they don't even have a professional approach. Michael Conforto is to the point right now where I was sitting not far from home plate on Friday night. And it looked like he was swinging and missing missing balls legitimately by a foot and a half. It's just the lack of an approach, two strike approach. You talk about Rizzo. Mm-hmm. The Mets really don't have many guys. Right now, with a professional approach, it's startling going into uh, pennant race. You're going to start seeing teams' best pitchers, especially come playoff time. Well, he- here's here's the bat that I thought you were going to point to. Baez gets up 3-0, right? 3-0 in the bottom of the ninth. You're like, oh, good. 3-0, he's either going to walk, whatever. Fouls back, fouls back, tries to hit one to the moon, struck out swinging. I mean, I thought that's the bat you were going to point to, but... That was terrible. I I was sitting watching the game with my buddy uh, during that bat. I actually said on 3-0, given the green light, obviously not chasing the slider away on 3-0. Mm-hmm. But one last thing, if, if I may, my another concern of mine for the Mets is their their bullpen. I don't know what it's going to look like come October if they hold on to this division lead. They have worked these guys to no end, and 
I thought they should have gone out and got some bullpen help because these guys are going to be so overworked. Yes. You're seeing the same guys run out there yes. two or three times a, a weekend. How are these guys going to hold up? Yeah, and that's that's a good point, and that's a good question. And I, I'm with you, and my hierarchy would have been Craig Kimbrell was the best. He was number one. If not him, I would have gone Daniel Hudson from Washington. He ended up going to the Padres. Then I would have gone Richard Rodriguez. He ended up going to the Braves. And then I would have picked Ian Kennedy, and he went to the Phillies. So two of my three top guys there, taking Craig Kimbrell out of it, went to your division rivals. That's a big issue that I have. Absolutely. I mean, I I hope things, you know, break right for the team. I'm optimistic, like I said. But there are some, some moves. I think that they were reluctant to give up prospects because they're all high on rebuilding this farm system but when you have a chance to really run away with the division you don't know when the chances you hope that it comes around every year but when you have a chance to really go all in and, and go for it you see your competitors like the dodgers like the phillies you know kind of making splashes around you it's frustrating yeah you can only make one move aj I, i'm with you i get you and, and and the wrong move and the wrong big move i sh- should i add uh the thing is If you're looking at the Mets rotation in and around September 1st, you're looking probably at, you know, I'm just conjecturing here, but DeGrom, I put a question mark next to Syndergaard, but DeGrom, Syndergaard, Carrasco, Stroman, Walker, which would leave Hill, Peterson, and Tyler McGill, who has been great. That would leave those three out to almost make them like I would make them like long relievers at that point. So there, there is some built-in help based on my managerial experience. Um, there is some 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 help in the in the form of those guys. Now they would have to agree to it, obviously. But you know, hey, or we're going to leave you off the postseason roster. Like that's 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 your choice. So I'm with you. I understand that. I do, though, feel that, that Luis Rojas tends to keep his pitchers in longer than Aaron Boone. I, don't, I, haven't looked at, I haven't looked at any numbers or anything. I just feel that way. When I'm watching the game, I'm like, oh, Aaron Boone would have yanked the pitcher by now. Whereas Luis Rojas kind of lets him stay in there and work through it, which I kind of like that. Let's go Pete in Jackson. You're up next on the fan. Hey, how are you doing today, right? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. No, I just wanted to add to the Mets thing. I mean... You say like the, you know them getting biased. You gotta you know put you know someone's not gonna play. But if you look at it in hindsight, you know you're saying which at bat, you know which bat you want to take out of the lineup. This team can't score any runs anyway, so it's not like you're telling me like oh Davis, you're gonna lose some at bats. No one's scoring any runs anyway, so it's not like we're killing the ball and you know we're gonna lose all these crazy you know bats. I mean, I don't know. I just think. I like what they did there. I like how they didn't trade, you know, all the prospects, you know. The only guy they did trade was the guy who got hurt. So you can't get too mad at that. You know, everyone's thinking this guy just got sold uh, some wrong with his arm. You know, I think they're trying to build a culture. They're trying to, you know, they don't want to trade everybody. If you look at the Phillies and Braves, you know. I think we lost you on, on the transfer from the phone to the car. <laughs> um the one thing I was going to rebut back to you and anybody listening is the fact that, okay, Mets are looking for offense, right? Well, lucky for you, I ran one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine offensive uh, metrics comparing Baez and Bryant. And I won't spare you, I, I won't tell you all the details. I'll just tell you that 
Chris Bryant, I highlighted him in green. Out of those nine, Chris Bryant takes the cake. He is better than Javi Baez on most of those nine categories. Offensive metrics that I ran. Batting average, slugging percentage, blah, 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 blah. That's the offense that you're needing if you're the Mets. That's where it's going to come from. Javi Baez and his 36.3 or whatever it is uh, strikeout rate. I mean, it's 10th. So what I picked was 100 at-bats. If you included every batter that has had 100 at-bats so far this season in my my sample size, Javi Baez has struck out 10th out of all those players. 10th most out of all those players. More than Joey Gallo. More than Aaron Judge. More than Stan. More than Sanchez. I mean, he is a strikeout machine. Whereas Chris Bryant... He, he, he's, what, 238th, 239th on, on that same list? I'm just telling you, you were, you were getting a much better player with a much better fit in Chris Bryant. And the Mets picked the wrong cub. It's as simple as that. Let's go to Steve in Manhattan. You're up next on The Fan. Can Chris Bryant be far behind? Danielle, I called I called a fan several years ago. I said I wanted Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant in the South Bronx. I don't care how they get them there. Yeah. We're halfway there. Halfway, halfway there. That's another Bon Jovi song. Okay, oh. keep singing. Keep singing. <laughs> that was that was Kevin. <laughs> Listen, in 1975, they crucified Charlie Finley for doing the same thing for trading off his stars and his players and getting money for it. I didn't blame him. He couldn't sign him as free agents. He couldn't afford it. And uh, first of all, you brought up Jersey. Uh, Anthony Rizzo's parents are from New Jersey. Lynnhurst. Uh, you're right, exactly. You know it. And yep. um, Joey Gallo's father is from Brooklyn, New York, from Bensonhurst. Bensonhurst. And his mom was born in Sicily, Castellamare del Golfo. Right. So there you go. And uh, I tell you one thing. We know we know everything about these guys. I mean, Rizzo and Gallo will upgrade this team defensively. Yes. I mean, that's what we're looking for. I mean, last week I spoke to you. This is a better team this week than it was last week. It is. And I tell you what. I mean, Rizzo pocketing the World Series baseball in Game 7 <laughs> when it ended was is one of the great defensive moves of all time. He took that <laughs> ball out. You see that? He puts it right in his back pocket. He knows yep. not to lose it. Yep. And... Joey Gallo, I know people get on his case, he may have a strike out or something. Listen, if this guy gets a hold one a hold of one and rocks one, these the air traffic controllers in LaGuardia Airport and Kennedy Airport are gonna be going nuts because they're not gonna be able to identify what's flying through the air. That's he could blast one out there four or five hundred feet. Well, the and, problem is though that you could say the same thing about John Carlos Stanton. That's kind of the problem. I think right now Joe Joey Gallo is a better player than Stanton. I agree. Joe, Joey Gallo go out and play the outfield. They yes. play a good defensive game. Yes. Um, I, I'm at one time Lou Pinella got on Ricky Henderson case. He went to Stein because I feel the guy's dogging it. Sometimes these players will dog it for some reason. And let me just end with this, Danielle. Like I told you last week, you mm-hmm. get a big crowd. You get the after crowd from another show from another station coming in, flooding your show in the five o'clock hour. The host of that show, Harpo, actually drives home and says he's listening to your show. Now, Harpo banned me from his show because people were calling and saying, what time is Steve going to call on the show? He got jealous and he banned me. But you're getting the overflow. You're in the drive time, and you've hit the big time. <laughs> well, thanks, Steve. Uh, I do have something big coming up, but I can't say it just yet, so stay tuned. All right. <laughs> Thank you for the call. Um, listen, I was shocked. <laughs> One, well, first, first of all, like three weeks ago or so, we, we knew that Giancarlo Stanton was – I mean, they told everybody that he was gearing up 
to play in the outfield for the Miami series. I know that got lost in the kerfuffle and the shuffle and everything. Here on this show, we, I paid attention, wrote down somewhere in my notes about three weeks ago that, that the target d- date for Giancarlo Stanton to resume outfield duties was going to be the Miami series. And true, it was. Giancarlo Stanton was marched out there in left field. What surprised me, though, was the fact that he was in left field for two consecutive games. Two consecutive games. Do you know the last time Giancarlo Stanton was in left or in the outfield for two consecutive back-to-back games? You know when that was? I looked. I went back on his uh, his uh, game logs. The year was 2019, September 27th, and September 28th of 2019 was the last time that Giancarlo Stanton played in back-to-back games in the outfield. Meredith Markovitz said he's been wanting to get back out in the outfield for a while, and Boone says he'll most likely go back to DH. I mean, come on, man. Aaron Boone, get a little rotation going. Luke Voigt's your DH one way. Because that's the – or else Luke Voigt has been rendered – Completely useless, right? If you got Giancarlo Stanton, again, clogging up that DH spot in your roster, in your lineup, then where does Luke Voigt play exactly? Tell me. Luke Voigt's playing time is directly correlated to the amount of innings and the amount of games and the number of games that Giancarlo Stanton plays into the out, in the outfield. It's that simple. That's the formula. And I know Luke Voigt's been hurt. I know he's been underperforming. But he still has a pretty good bat. But Anthony Rizzo is going to – I've already – who is Luke Voigt? I've already forgotten who Luke Voigt is. And i got to tell you something else too. That, and, and Steve just brought up the, the, the defense. Were you watching the game on Saturday night? Did you see the play? I want to say it was like – let me see. The sixth inning or so. Uh, I can't get the inning. But, but the, basically the, the play was this. They picked off a runner at first base. So what happened was Sanchez had a had a, uh, a snap throw. Ah, forgive me, I can't find the inning here. But basically what happened was Sanchez received the pitch, snap throw to first base, and they had Rizzo who was playing off of the um, the left shoulder of, of the base runner who was taking a lead. Rizzo, well, I'll get to that in a second. Rizzo came in, snuck in, soft footsteps right behind him, snuck in, tagged the runner out at first. Now, Rizzo has been with the Yankees for two days, two games. I have never seen John Carlos, I mean, uh, Gary Sanchez do that ever. So the broadcast, they're like, oh, who called the play? It was obvious who called the play. Anthony Rizzo was the one who called the play there. It wasn't Gary Sanchez. I've never seen Gary Sanchez do that. So Anthony Rizzo gave him a little high science and throw the pick, throw the pick off throw, throw the snap throw down the first base. I got him. He's leaning too far. Boom. Out. I accredit Anthony Rizzo with that. I do not accredit Gary Sanchez with that. Uh, the idea, I should say, to do that. So immediately, Anthony Rizzo comes in with the bat making a difference, with his glove making a difference, and more importantly, with his brains making the difference. And the Jets and the Giants, as we alluded to at the top of the hour, they, they settled into their first week at camp, and so did the Patriots. Saturday morning, Bill Belichick made this declaration. He said, Cam's our starting quarterback. Well, he might want to rethink that. I'll tell you why. Coming right up.
Welcome back to McCartan in the morning here on The Fan. It is daybreak here in Manhattan, New York City, everybody. Um, we have been talking all morning, all night long about the, the Mets and Yankees at the trade deadline, but I want to interrupt that paid pro- that programming with this little note. Cam is our starting quarterback, said Bill Belichick. That, my Jets and Giants friends, should be music to your ears. Did you see the video that hit the internet late this week? If you didn't, it's Cam Newton. He's bopping along, dancing at practice when he spots a fan in the stands. He, in his Cam Newton way, makes a huge deal about pointing the kid out. And by kid, I mean he's like 13 or so. Cam Newton starts gesturing for the kid to catch the ball that he's about to throw him, right? The whole thing's setting up perfectly. He's still gesturing. He's Cam Newton's making sure everybody's watching him. So the kid starts nervously walking down the steps of the stands to catch it. Comeback route, if you will. Cam lets the ball fly. And great work, great work by the camera dude to spin around, catch the end of the pass on film because Cam Newton's intended target did not. In fact, the intended target, that 13 or so year old kid, couldn't even catch it if he tried. Cam Newton so badly missed him, missed his target, missed that kid, that a kid sitting four people to the left of the steps caught it by surprise. He was sitting down and just landed in his lap. He was so confused as to why he had to give that ball to the kid standing in the in the in the in the stairway. It was a surprise interception by the kid sitting in the bleachers. Cam Newton, everybody. Looks to be in mid-season form. Great news for our teams, but in particular, the division rival New York Jets. Cam's our starting quarterback, Bill Belichick. That's music to Jets fans' ears. And this is your last chance to get aboard. 877-337-6666. Ooh, we've got a we've got a real bruiser on Twitter. We've got a real tough guy, Kevin. This guy's name is Kyle. He says, you just gave the Yankees a D-minus grade for the trade deadline moves, and the Mets got a B. My ears are bleeding. Fan, get your act together. Rather listen than Steve Summers recite dialogue from Inc. the English patient. I don't know what I don't know what that means. Kyle, you are a particular type of moron because you didn't hear the whole thing. Go back to the on-demand. Kevin's about to put it up. You go back and listen, Kyle. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go to the phones. Andy in Miami, you are next on The Fan. Hey, screw Kyle. There's no one I'd rather listen to on this air than you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really enjoy it, and I was really pulling for the Mets to get Chris Bryant because of the breakdown that you did last week. Mm-hmm. But I will give you a scouting report. I went to the Marlins game Friday night, and uh, my wife surprised me. She did me a solid. Nice. Uh, because there were many, many, many people at a game because of the Yankees, of course. Yes. So my wife got me front row, and she knows I like the Yankees and the Mets, so she was able to get me just to the right of the dugout. A couple things I noticed. Of the, First off, of the Yankee dugout? Correct. Okay. Really interesting that um, you'll remember in that game, after Odor made a brutal error, Glaber Torres made an unbelievable diving play. The backhand throw? Um, Correct. Yes. The backhand throw, which was, you really realize just how physically talented he is, which makes his errors all the more difficult and shows you, you know, it would be great if he could play second base full time. Mm -hmm. But what I noticed about the play, you know, when you sit right next to the dugout, is the first player. I'm going to let you, because you're really smart. Who do you think the leader of that team is? Who do you think the first player 
to greet Claver Torres is when he came in and put his arms around him, which always is a sign of a team leader. Um, so it had to be someone that wasn't in the field, right? Correct. That's how smart you are. That's uh, correct. So it's not, probably, it's not Judge. Uh, I want to say Urshela or LeMahieu. I'm going to say Urshela. Okay. Good guess, but that's not who it was. It was actually Garrett Cole. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I could see that. And it, it just yep. shows what kind of leader he is. So I thought that was really interesting. Another really fun thing was watching Judge and Stanton run out to the outfield together. And you could see the Judge wanted to do that. Yeah. Like Judge, Judge and Stanton didn't just run out together. They ran almost like in tandem. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the type of thing the Judge likes to do to like make Stanton feel like part of the team. And just it, it's it's just insane to watch what huge men they are, like when you're in the front row right in front of you. Yeah. I, I mean, and, <laughs> and Stanton, you know, I, I'm – Look, I'm a transplanted New Yorker, but I've been living in Miami for 30 years. I've watched it and play the outfield. He's not bad when he played the outfield. Yes. And it's so frustrating that they treat him like paper because he could do it. Even when they did the um, seventh inning twitch, and I'm like, oh, here we go. Stanton's already out of the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. it, it did make sense. It was To watch him play the outfield and to watch him run out there with Aaron Judge, it just makes you realize that there is a possibility like you said, if they really want to get Boyd in, they could use him as a DH. But what I noticed about that game, what was so exciting about that game, is you could see that Rizzo is a born leader. He's from Parkland, uh, yes, coach. Yes. So Parkland's just up the road from Miami, and he got a standing O. And you could see he was moved. And my younger son is going to play baseball at Manhattan College, so mm-hmm. he's a real student of the game. What he was cracking up about, you want to talk about how – he could have begged out of the lineup. He was wearing his uh, Chicago Cubs shoes. I, saw, I saw that. Yes. And we were sitting right next to first base, and my son's like, "Dad, he's wearing Cubs shoes. Look at <laughs> look at his." And my son immediately noticed it, and he was. Yeah. And you could see like players come. Like for example, Gallo didn't play the night before. Yes. Even though he was already there. Yeah. They said that um, Rizzo got there like two or three hours before the game. He was in the lineup. Amazing. And he was amazing. He was amazing. And to watch him, you could see he's a leader. You could see it naturally he's a leader. He was extremely moved that everybody from South Florida cheered for him. And fun fact, Nestor Cortez, who went to Hialeah High School, who my older son actually pitched against, started screaming to him in Spanish, and Nestor Cortez threw my kid a ball. Um, cool. And actually, you want to know what an athlete Nestor Cortez is? He pinched Randy. You know, I was going to say that. But but where was, like, Brett Gardner in that situation? Why was Nestor Cortez pinch running? Uh, listen, uh, can, I, can I be honest? Can I be honest, Coach? If I don't see Brett Gardner again, it's okay with me. I know, but it's okay you don't want me. you don't want a starting pitcher, especially with how the Yankees are banged up. You don't want a starting pitcher running the bases. I know I don't. No, but the guy's jacked. I mean, I was looking at Nestor Cortez like this guy's an athlete. <laughs> I mean, he's really good. He was he was pretty fast too. He scored. Don't let the and mustache he, fool you, huh? I, the mustache not fool you, but what you just see is like it, these guys in front of you. I mean, wow! I, look. I have killed Cashman, and you have killed Cashman for good reason. And before we start, you know, throwing him a parade for getting Rizzo, I mean, if you didn't construct this team in the offseason with, you know, eight starting right-handers, <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't have had to trade these yes. prospects to get these two left-handers. This isn't – I mean, yes, it's doubling down, but it's completely admitting a mistake yeah. when you're already eight games behind the Red Sox, now seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to tell you, Coach, it was exciting to watch, and for a lot of New Yorkers there, it felt like opening day. Yeah. Um, and it was just – you know, you know that Gallo is a defender. I, I heard you compare Gallo and Stanton. But, I mean, Gallo, like you said, because I listened to your numbers. I mean, what do they have? The fifth best arm in baseball? Fifth best what? Oh, sixth. Fifth sixth, best arm. sixth best sixth arm best in the arm. outfield. Yeah, yes. And you said Rizzo's won a platinum glove? Yes. 
So, you know, it's not like typical Yankees because those are two defenders that are plus defenders yes. that we didn't have. Mm-hmm. So that's great. We didn't get any pitching. And as far as the Mets go, I mean, look, I, I think Baez is great. Uh, I, w- I know you wanted uh, Brian, and uh, I was disappointed they didn't get him. And I, I, you wonder how much control Lindor has over this team. You know, yeah. That, mm-hmm. you know, because I think Jeff McNeil has been a hell of a lot better batter than, <laughs> than Lindor has this yes. year. I mean, especially McNeil recently. just you broke want, a 16-game hitting streak on Saturday night. I mean, come on. Right. So, yeah, you're not going to take when, – when Lindor's back, you're not going to take McNeil out of the lineup, which means you are taking J.D. Davis out of the lineup. Yep. And I guess my question for you, Coach, is can, can McNeil play third base consistently? Because that's going to have to be what happens. Well, I mean, it, it, if he wants to continue to play, uh, he, he's going to have to. And, and, Andy, I thank you for the call. You're very observant always, and I appreciate your perspective um, coming from you know, going to the Miami Marlins games always. So I appreciate all of that. Um, you're the eyes and ears for me on the ground there in Miami. Um, I will be covering the Yankees on Monday and Tuesday. I'll be at the stadium. Uh, it's it's going to be an exciting time for me. It's gonna be my first time ever covering the Yankees, so um, I'm, I'm excited, I, I have to say. I'm looking for the uh, finders and advanced stats, fielding advanced stats for, for Jeff McNeil. Can he play third base consistently? Well, Jeff McNeil's a gamer. He's going to do whatever is asked of him. Um, but but while that loads, I would like to say that that Scott was asked about that on the SNY bo- uh, broadcast, and he said, as a quote, I wouldn't say that any player would have influence. I talked to Francisco on Javi. I wanted to get his take on how he'd fit in not only as a player but in the clubhouse dynamic. I talked to some other players about other, some other different guys. You wait until you get close. You're not asking for permission. You're just basically asking about them. Okay. I don't know if I totally believe that, actually, honestly. I don't know if I believe that. So, I don't know. And this is not loading for me. So, listen. If Jeff McNeil wants to be in this lineup, he's going to find a way to play third every day. And you know what? I believe that he can do it. He's just one of those guys. One of those gamers. He'll make sure he finds a way. Let's go to Jeff in Jersey City. You're up next on the fan, Jeff. Thanks, Danielle. Uh, of course. Listen, uh, be, I'll be quick. I know you're down on time. It's okay. Uh, Take your time. I, I, yeah, and and you know you're terrific. I, I but I got to say that Sal is excellent. Steve Summers has great New York heart. I love him forever. Uh, Danielle, you are the best in new school. You break things down. That um, you know what you could do? Uh, give a seminar, teach the rest of the um, baseball, especially sport media, how to ask questions, how to analyze the game. They're in the dark ages, so that's your that's that's the way I feel. That's a I have a very high regard for you. Well, thank you. Now, All they have to do is yeah. tune in. It's like a it's like every, I'm teaching. I'm teaching that's everybody. Great. Right, but anyways, the course of time, I uh, uh, I respect. Uh, that's how much respect I have for you. Anyway, you. a comment you. about um, Mets pitching, and then a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, my opinion is, um, the, it's just my opinion, mm-hmm. and, and it's a little uh, strong, but I can't help feeling this way. It's kind of like the curse. Uh, Degrom is done. Syndergaard's done. The health and the pitching. Um, uh, throughout and and it, actually, Daniel, this is a trend that's been going on. 
in high school, I know personally, kids that are getting Tommy John surgery in high school. You know what? This is this is really wrong. Players are getting. Um, there was a Korean um, uh, player that played for a college in Virginia. He died after Tommy John surgery just mm. a couple of months ago. Wow! Um, wow. So, so, are you aware of this? Or no. You don't know this? No, I didn't know. Well, you can you can Google it. Yeah, and, I will. And so, so, so my point is the health of uh, a modern day pitching arm. Mm-hmm. It's no longer five or six innings. It's um, more like three innings. Give me three good innings. Give me a few more pitches and let them give them. Give. Otherwise, you're going to have the Grom giving you a, a great seven inning game. The next game, a good one, and then he's on the DL again. And that's the way it is. Um, anyway, you get my point about, yeah. the, uh, about pitching, and it's a different age. They got to change. They got to go more to bullpen. Mm-hmm. Here's a question for, for, for you about um, uh, Gallo, which I, I like that he's a complete player, yes. a good fielder, and and you you broke that down. You said he's he has a better, he's more likely to get on base than somebody say like uh, like Baez, who's gonna. I knew Danielle. When that count went to three and zero in the game tonight, that he was going to strike I, out. I said, "Here comes a strikeout." Yep. That's right. Yep. Now Gallo, I have a little higher regard for his um, pitch selection. Yes. But what about this? What if you maybe um, drop him down to to a high, like a like an eight spot or something in the order? Would that take the pressure off him? Of for sure. Possibly. Um, yes. what, what do you think about doing something like that? He's a good athlete, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Jeff, great question there. And and here's what I would do if I were managing the Yankees and, and I've filled out batting orders, plenty of them. Um, yes. Especially since he, he's pressing, he, he has two games here in New York. He's, I think I added it up for over eight, over nine, over seven, something like that. Um, he hasn't gotten a hit yet. That's the problem. And they're still marching him out at number two. He shouldn't be number two anyway because he has a propensity not to ground into double plays. Why would you put that batter as number two to begin with? Um, I wouldn't put him eighth. I, I would probably drop him down to – and you have to look at the lefty-righty splits here, but I would maybe move him down to like a five. I think that's a comfortable position for a guy trying to get his footing on a new team. And um, and don't forget, too, that – that that um. Rizzo came from the NL, and the Marlins are an NL team. So he's got a little advantage there having seen you know, NL pitching, let's just say. Gallo is coming from an AL team, and he's adjusting not only to a brand-new Yankees team, but to a brand-new sort of NL opponent, which is sort of weird. Um, I, I would think that he would hopefully be dropped in the order A, uh, later today, Sunday, just to see if he can gain any traction or hope that he can adjust to to the Baltimore Orioles and their AL pitching, you know, having maybe seen one of those pitchers or two or three of them before, uh, or at least more regularly than than any of the Marlins pitchers. So that's a point that I, I definitely wanted to bring out tonight. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. And by the way, Jeff McNeil at third base, he has a 922 fielding percentage. He's only played 46 games there. So we'll see what happens with that. I'm sure that number is going to go up. (laughs) So thanks to all of the callers. I could not have done this without you tonight. It's been a very busy night. Love coming here talking with you all. Busy morning, I should say. Special thank you to All-Star MLB Network contributor John Morosi for joining us this morning. John helped us dissect the entire trade deadline environment for both the Yankees and the Mets. And if you missed that, that was at 4.40 a.m. And if you missed any portion of tonight, go on the Odyssey app. It's free. 
Select the start of the show. Use the rewind feature. 2 a.m. Great job to Kevin Wall behind the glass tonight. Seth Cantor on the updates. You have Bob Salter coming your way next. In the meantime, you guys can hit my social medias at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter. Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. We'll keep the conversation going. Enjoy the games, everybody. Go Mets. Go Yankees. Individual rates, coverage, offerings, and savings may vary. Subject to terms and conditions. Not available in all areas. If you're a small business owner, you're probably looking for ways to stretch your dollar these days. So, saving up to 30% on workers' comp insurance could mean more now than ever. That's why you owe it to yourself to check your rate with Pi Insurance. With Pi, it's easy to find out if you're leaving money on the table. Just get an online quote in three minutes on your computer or smartphone. Simply go to trypi.com and see if you're overpaying for workers' comp. Pi Insurance was created exclusively for small businesses. Built to make workers' comp work for you with a simple online experience and trusted service. Pi is rated excellent on Trustpilot by customers who say they make getting insurance as easy as pie. What are you waiting for? Find out today if you could save up to 30% for your workers' comp insurance. Ask your insurance agent for Pi Insurance or get a quote in three minutes at trypie.com. That's T-R-Y-P-I-E dot com. Do you need a new car but have bad credit? Hudson Hyundai can help. Call Hudson Hyundai 809. 800-